because we're three of us here are huge fans of cities. Alex is pretty obvious with his attaché travel. I think. Yeah. Me, I don't have a, such an outlet, but uh, it's one of my favorite topics, actually. So I think for the audience, it will be uh, not only about aviation, but about how feeling cities, what they evoke to us. Yeah, yeah. We are urbanists, I think. Urban, right? yes. yeah. yeah. And we haven't rehearsed anything with Alex, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we do. We never rehearse. And I wish I, br- I wish I had hard copies to bring oh, you. I, 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 I would have given you some hard copies tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, I've enjoyed the it. It's, it's my kind of book. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I loved it. Actually, I, love, I loved yeah. it. I remember you were telling us that you were hesitating. Is that a good content for the podcast? I'm like, dude, <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> of course it is. Um, you were not going to hear this. No, it's not, of course, playing what I want to play it. Come on. I just want to tell you both good luck. We're all counting on you. The both good luck and counting on you, which just <laughs> played, so it means that it's recording. Uh, you guys have probably heard that there's a third voice in the podcast. Hello, Mark. Hello. Hi, guys. Welcome back. Back. It's been a while. It's, you've been, I just realized last night I was, I was researching when was the last time we recorded. That was episode 60, and I think that was 60, right, Alex? Um, in uh, uh, 2017, the airport was Nairobi. Although now that I've read your book, and that's the topic of today, uh, we should have been Cape Town because you spent so much time talking about Cape Town. I I don't know why we chose Nairobi back then. (laughs) (laughs) We could choose Cape Town today then, shall we? And the the first half of those who are interested who might have not heard you was episode 40. uh, And we did Heathrow because obviously that's uh, where you fly from as a BA pilot. Um, And we were talking about Skyfaring, which was your, your first book. One tidbit, you've done the three era of our show, because the first one, we had our first intro and first logo. The second one, our second intro and the second logo. And now you are in these free-falling, we do whatever we want, <laughs> new type of, of music, which I'm going to play now very quickly for Or again, can I? Hi, Ken. The usual shout-out. <laughs> and so, the most amazing thing is that we are actually in the same room. And that's weird. I'm looking at Alex right oh, now. We've never, I mean, how many episodes have we done? 685. <laughs> even in the 100 plus episodes, we've done one in the same room and it didn't, it wasn't that very was a good. catastrophe. Yeah. Uh, the sound sucked. Yeah, that was at my place in at the very beginning and we had one microphone in the middle. We didn't know how to do it and the sound was horrible. I think it was Vienna. Yeah. Did we not even record two at the same time? I think we did. Oh, oh God. God, it was an ambitious, disaster. Ambitious. The ambitiousness of youth, I think. But it's very nice also to be in the same room. I mean, we met, Mark. Yeah, was, of course. We, yeah. uh, it we, is a real pleasure to be in the same room and, and to look out at London and you know see people walking by and taxis going by and it's a nice feeling. So, um, I'm super loud suddenly. The book. Let's start with the book, maybe. Do you want to maybe tell us the the title of the book and um, why did you write it? I mean, we've both read it. We have so many questions. Uh, We're recording. I need to say that. We're recording today, May... Shit. 11. <laughs> May 11th, 2022. The book is coming out tomorrow, May 12th, and that's when the, this episode will be, rec- will be released. So there's no embargo by that time. Uh, guys in the US, you will have to wait for a couple of months before it comes out. Um, so sorry, you'll have to listen to this in July. So <laughs> Mark, please tell us uh, about your new book. So the, the title of the book is Imagine a City. Um, and it's really about my, my love for cities and how that kind of was entwined with the love of airplanes that, that allow us to go to so many. Um, I grew up in a, a city called Pittsfield um, in the 
the western part of Massachusetts. Uh, it's a pretty small place. Uh, it's barely a city in terms of population. Um, and it's in many ways a wonderful place. Um, and I grew up there kind of spinning my, my light up globe in my, in my bedroom, um, you know, looking at, uh, looking at the names uh, of the cities all around, all around the world and, and thinking about the, the, the planes that might take me there someday. Well, yeah. you had a Star Wars poster. That Star Wars poster is from the, that's from the guy who, with the kids. Who yeah, with there. the kids, exactly. Yeah, it wasn't my poster, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, that was from the people who bought the house after us. Yes. But yeah, I had posters of air, airliners, basically. I had Boeing cockpit, uh, glowing sort of night shots of, uh, of Boeing cockpits. Um, you know, so, uh, so my love for big cities began in a very small one. And it was, you know, it was really inseparable from, from my love of airplanes. I think they, those kind of things grew up together. Um, so I became a pilot, um, and um, and I was given an experience of cities that was that was far more fascinating and, and even miraculous than I could have ever have imagined when I was a kid. Um, you know, we see so many cities from above. If, if you're at a window seat, especially at night, and you know there are parts of the world that are that are quite dark at night, um, but there are many parts where it's just one one city after another is scrolling past these glowing kind of nests of light on the earth below us, and 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 they're just, they're just, um, you know, I, I came back from Toronto last week and we took off from Pearson, um, towards the Northeast and made a left turn and then another right turn. And it was maybe 10 or 10 30 at night. And we could look down at Toronto and it was, it was just glowing these, these miniaturized towers on this. And then this, this dark lake, I mean, and the city looked like a blade, like on the lake. It was just unbelievable. And, you know, when we, you mentioned Star Wars, you know, we, when we look at cities, um, when we look at cities in science fiction and we think, oh, wow, that looks futuristic. Well, Toronto looked pretty remarkable to me, I have to say. Um, and it, it certainly provides the language that the sort of urban language, the visual language that all of our imaginations are using in things like Star Wars when we, when they make cities. And then, you know, 40 minutes later, Montreal goes by and then Quebec. And, you know, five hours later, we're, we're coming in over Canary Wharf um, on a beautiful, almost summer-like morning to, to land at Heathrow. And, so there's that amazing experience we have of cities from the air, but, uh, but there's also another experience of cities once we land in them. And as a long haul pilot, you might have, um, 24 hours in a city, maybe up to 72 hours. And we have this, we get, we're given this kind of really unusual experience of cities where we go to them again and again for these short periods. And we're, we're never really, you know, when I go to a city as a traveler, uh, I kind of think, okay, well, what are the sights I have to see, you know, to, you know, da, 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 da. but when you go as a pilot, you know, you're going to be back again in a month or two. That was three wonderfully months. reassuring. Yeah. It makes, it makes travel, it makes travel really, um, kind of relaxing and more organic in some mm. ways. And, in some cities we go to so many times that you start to feel a little bit at home in them. Uh, I talk in the book about how I've been to Los Angeles, I don't know, 60 or 70 times. And I, I have like whole routines there. I have cafes yeah, I go to and places I go for a bike ride and a hike. And, and often yeah, you, I, you mentioned, sorry to interrupt you, you almost mentioned at some point you have to remind yourself. And I think Alex and I express the same thing that this is not your city. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Like you yeah. go so many times, you've yeah. got your habits, like you just said, like so maybe a coffee or maybe even like the same path you take every time because it feels familiar and yeah. you have to kind of, and when I pass tourists yeah. to that city, I kind of, <laughs> exactly. I kind of like walk past them quickly while as they're yeah, holding yeah. their maps. And, and then I'm like, you know, I'm acting like I live here, but I don't live here. And, you know, or, you know, you take LA again, you know, often I'll meet people from LA somewhere else in the world and they'll, and they'll say, 
um, they'll say, oh, they're from Los Angeles. And I'll be like, oh, LA. And then, and then I have to, and I'm almost about to say, I'm from LA too. But, you know, but of course that's not true. Um, it's not true at all. Um, and I wanted to capture that sense of cities. You know, I think half of us live in cities, uh, now and by 2050, mm-hmm. um, two thirds of us will, you know, cities are a defining part of, of who we are as a species really. And, and of our civilization. And I wanted to capture the unique sense of pilots have of that both from above and from within their streets. Um, and I guess the last element I, I wanted to capture in, in Imagine a City was this, this sense of home and, and the way that, that my first city, Pittsfield, um, that small place, um, is, is kind of always with me no matter where I am. Um, and I don't know if you, if you guys had a similar experience, but when I first, um, when I first logged on to, I guess, Google Earth or Google Maps, and you could first look down at a map of the, like a visual, a photograph, a mapped photograph, whatever you want to call it, of, of, of the world. And I was in London when I did that. I remember I was on the couch and, and, you know, I didn't go look at the Sydney Opera House. I didn't, I didn't go look at Stonehenge. I didn't, I didn't go look at, um, the Statue of Liberty. I went straight back to my childhood street and I zoomed, I zoomed right in and I went and I found the street and I saw the house and I saw the shape of the garage and the drive and the lawn and the shadows on the lawn at the time the photograph was taken by the satellite, you know, and I looked at the, at the, you know, that house belongs already even then belonged to somebody else, to another family. And I looked down on the shingles of that roof and I was just, I was like, you know, and I went to the part the part, the corner of the roof that I knew was above my bedroom. And I just, and had this kind of like, wow, this kind of bewildered sense of like distance and connection and time all at once. And, and this, you know, trying to capture or trying to, to, to think about a place that meant so much to me. And, uh, and, you know, maybe another way to say is, I don't know if you've had the experience of coming up from a subway station in New York mm-hmm. and it takes you a minute to realize where you are in the intersection. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's quite apparent there because there's a grid. Um, yeah. But if you don't, if you, if you don't, if you don't know which way the, the Avenue runs, if you know, the, which are one way, it takes you a second to realize which way you are, yeah. uh, which way you're facing, which way you have to walk to get to wherever you're going. Yeah. And, um, uh, I, I have a very strong sense when I, when I do that and I have that moment of, of confusion, um, that I'm, I'm looking for where the sun is and I'm trying to map because my bedroom in my childhood home faced East. And so I can almost feel like that, that map of, of home and of directions kind of swiveling in my brain until it aligns. And only then do I kind of know where I'm going. And I don't know. I don't know. It's, I feel like cities, your home, your first city is on, it's like a parent almost, or even a language that you, you carry with you. And, and, and then in this book, I wanted to, you know, I was talking to a friend about it. Um, a lot of people helped me with this book. There were a lot of the acknowledgements are very long yes, yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I really wanted to make sure I thanked everyone who helped me. But you know, one friend who read it was like, well, it's not really, this book isn't really about cities, is it? And I said, I said, what do you mean? He said, well, it's about home. This is a book about home. I think that that's also what I, what I saw probably Alex too. I, um, I felt because I have, you talked to me a lot, the book, because your story, even of course, widely different about it's a mix of wanderlust and Fahrenheit, so wanting to go somewhere else, but also somewhere else appealing to you and having this kind of huge loop that, and that I've experienced, that I almost left my hometown because I wanted to get away from it. But at some point, it not, not only catches up with you, but it is you actually. Yeah, and it takes yeah. time to realize yeah. that actually it will always be me. 
and but you have to maybe go through that experience. I mean, maybe not everyone, but for me, I had to go through that experience of living abroad and being a permanent, a forever foreigner to understand that actually I will always be my roots. Yeah. Uh, and that city, Geneva, or small, not as small as Pittsfield, but uh, same, same it, elevation though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Almost, almost. And, and that's how I read the book. That's why I was fascinated. You, you, you use um, you use also um, a, a process the way you you wrote it um, because you just talked about cities, but it's really a book about you as well because it's how you feel in the cities and you have this. Um, it remind me it reminded me of one of my favorite books, which is called A Fish in the Sea by Mario Vargas Llosa. And every two chapters he writes about his childhood, and every other chapter he writes about it's totally different he's not a pilot he was no no uh, he was trying, that's, he was that's a very like a pattern i i also stumbled, yeah. stumbled across yeah yeah use not chapters exactly but okay. you use that and i i i really i really enjoyed that because you mix very well the 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 thread of leaving home the home staying with you having all these like puzzles and since we don't know your story we kind of learning over time and when we and when we reach the end of the book you have like this kind of whole story and you kind of look back into why you love stories i love i love cities i really loved it i really loved it sorry i interrupted you with that. no no i mean i think i think that experience of, of wanting to leave home um is 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 a really fundamental one i mean i think it's uh, it probably made sense even even genetically right that we would want to to set out at least a little bit before we come back um or or you know, find a new place or or come back to the first one but um and I, you know the the experience that pilots have of cities of going to so many cities and and seeing so many from above you know that in a way i'm like an extreme test case of that of that phenomenon you're talking about where um you know where uh if anyone could leave home, if anyone could truly leave their home behind it would be a pilot but but um my experience shows that it, that at least to me that you you can't you know it is with you it is with you how do you guys feel about your have you have you have you been to your Childhood homes, your parents maybe even still live in them, or Alex is a very. Well, yeah, uh, I, am. I, I have led a nomadic life, but there, yeah, the, the the small city in California where I spent the first ten years of my life is the place that I think of as at least spiritual home. And actually, when when, when you were saying that, I was thinking it, that the the real litmus test is that when I go to a city, you know, Hong Kong, which is probably up there for me, at least in terms of emotional investment and, and comfort, when. When an institution, or at least an institution in my mind, is no longer there, be it a restaurant or a whatever, a shop, it's disappointing. Um, when the same thing happens in the town in which you grew up, it is truly distressing. Yeah. It is like that piece of nostalgia <laughs> has evaporated. Something that was so consistent that you couldn't possibly conceive of your life without it is no, is no more. And I think that, for me, is... is is the comfort in the permanence and the memories is still there, but is what kind of separates this, this little town in California from anywhere else on earth that I had become enamored. Yeah. I mean, I, um, I quote in this, in my book a lot, um, uh, Italo Calvino's uh, invisible mm -hmm. cities, mm -hmm. which is, you know, obviously been a, a huge, um, point of reference to me, uh, since I first read it. And, you know, and that, that sense in which, uh, maybe it's all the same city, you know, there's, 52 cities, but maybe they're all the same. Mm. Um, that sense that each city kind of exists, um, you know, in your, it, it exists almost first of all in the imaginations of those who live in it or who remember it. And, and I really wanted to capture that in the book. And, and that's, um, you know, that's a really, that's very apparent to me when I'm, 
you know, even in, if I think of the city I know best, it's probably London. And but I've tr- kind of tried this a few times as a thought experiment. If you kind of close your eyes and think how much of it you could draw, mm-hmm. you know, there's probably like ten or twenty streets you know really well, and then where you know where this cafe is, and then the, this restaurant, and then this this um, underground station. But then you kind of move in your mind just a little bit off those main streets, and you realize how how it kind of fades in a, in a, in a quite organic way into 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 absence and then if you go a little farther it reconnects to somewhere else yeah um and Absolutely. you know in childhood homes are um, that experience is um you know add, they add time to that kind of geographic dimension because you know i walk around uh, my hometown of pittsfield and i i am seeing things you know i'm i'm passing a, a you know a building which has um you know, where there's like a, a bank, like a modern little yeah, branch yeah. bank there. And then I'm thinking, well, that used to be a car dealership with yeah. this weird round roof. That my, And I remember going with my dad to, when he was looking at a Ford there. Yeah. And, you know, there are people, you know, I left Pittsfield, um, I mean, for college, I left 30 years ago. I've been back many times. But, you know, there's there are people there who are 30 years old who've never seen that building. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I'm walking around and all I can feel is its absence. And yeah. and that, that way in which home is... Uh, is I'm, I'm is a multi-layered um, yeah. into both time and space is, is a dimension. I drive my kids crazy with that one. You know, <laughs> she's going, I remember when this was done. And yeah. like, oh my God, what have I become? I'm, I'm lucky with Geneva because Geneva literally never changes. It's the same city. It's so... Your your description about Zurich is absolutely fantastic. It feels like a, a factory, you say, line. It's like so neat. Geneva is not oh, as that neat. Tunnel, that tunnel, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. all, right? Uh, Geneva is not as neat, but it doesn't change. So I, I go there and I'm like, oh, it's the same cafe. It's actually the same waitress than right. 20 years ago and they even recognized me say hello papa papa used to be my nickname everybody would wow. call me papa yeah. and uh, the people are the same i mean i get these kind of experiences which it's reassuring it is hugely reassuring uh, it's strange because for a while i wanted to uh, that's something that i loved when you mentioned that in the book you said for you a city when you were young i'm paraphrasing obviously was a city with skyscrapers. It had to be big and huge. Yeah, and for me, yeah. of course, too, Geneva, you know, we, like you said, in Europe, we don't have a lot of skyscrapers. We have some here in London, uh, in the center, and in Canary Wharf. There's some in Frankfurt, whatever, but we don't have this kind of culture of skyscrapers. So obviously, for me, like for you, like I wanted to... S- New York was the defining city. Yeah. Because yeah. back then, there was no Dubai or anything. So I, I, for me, when I was talking about cities, it was New York. And now, with time with that loop back that I mentioned earlier, you realize that actually all types of CDS have their languages, but as a young, impressionable kid, that's all that matters. I wanted to see the highest skyscraper in the world. Yeah. It's like bars on a graph. Isn't it? <laughs> it's, um, I mean, when, when we would drive to, uh, you know, we would occasionally take the bus into New York, um, uh, from Pittsfield. It's sort of first like school trips and that kind of thing. And, mm-hmm. you know, once you, once you got into Manhattan and, you know, the bus windows were not quite, you couldn't quite see up from the sides. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I just remember that sense of like pressing my face against the window of the, like the Peter Pan yeah, bus, yeah. um, <laughs> just to look up at these buildings and yeah. And, and Boston too. I mean, Boston was actually, was our closest, uh, city, uh, you know, and, and it was also the capital of Massachusetts. My, my dad's, my dad worked for the state government. So we, mm-hmm. Boston trips are more common, but, but even as a kid, I understood that New York was a, was a different kind of place. Uh, my brother and his, um, you know, I, I think I say in the book, like the cool kids in Pittsfield would, you know, they would say, oh yeah, we're going to the city this weekend. And nobody thought they were referring to like Albany, Springfield, Hartford, or in Boston. Everyone just knew it was New York, even though that was the farthest of those. Yeah. It was just the city. 
Um, I had a, there's a section in the book where I kind of, I talk about how much I love it when you see a sign that just says like two city or the city this way mm-hmm. or something. And the idea that they're all, you know, either that in some Calvino-esque way, like cities are archetypal or that from where you are, there's no other city that could be intended. Like at yeah. Heathrow, at Terminal 5, there's, I think the signs say trains to city. Yeah. And no, you know, everybody knows which city they're talking about. And, um, in, in Cape town, um, on the roads around Cape town, you see these signs, yeah. they just say, they just say city. And it's like, well, it's the same in the Bay area. And, you know, and when you say, well, I'm going to the city, San Francisco, really, even though geographically population, it's nowhere near the most exponentially bigger. Yeah. And then of course, Oakland being Oakland is the town. Right. <laughs> so you have those two, uh, counterweights but yeah there's there's always that that sort of the the identifying city of a of a metropolitan area which i really uh, like uh, the new robes so of constantinopolis istanbul uh, it's apocryphal no one agrees um but since you mentioned that it was the city right and um istanbul some people say that's what apocryphal means istipolis which means uh i'm going to the city I've heard uh, that. Yeah. Is that, is that. Is that not true? Or, or I, I've, I've looked at it and it's, I mean, you know how it is with these type of things. It gets lost in the history and also like people want to revisit that history. I remember but, coming across that after I finished the book and thinking, wow. Yeah, yeah because it's, it's a bit, <laughs> I really should have put that in there. It's a big part of your book you, when you're talking about these new Romes and, and, and yeah. So, because it was the city, there was no, even Athens paled. It's a small city comparably, uh, even yes. today, right? Even though I, and we discussed this because Alex just did uh, an attaché travel in, in, in Athens. And for me, uh, Athens, uh, Istanbul and, and Beirut, I, I count them as almost the same, not the same city, obviously. They're very vastly different, but have the same oh, feeling. Yeah. They're like, they, they have a certain opening to the sea. I mean, Athenian friends of mine will tell, that, tell me that Piraeus only has it and Ath- Athens is more closed in, but they have a kind of similar feeling to them. When I... I don't know Istanbul that well compared to Beirut and and Athens, obviously, but I feel home every time I. I That's mean, the thing about really, a city's identity, isn't it? Like yeah. as I said to you, I think, and then in the episode, is that in Athens, actually, it was Greg who said it that you you walk around Athens and you're like, this feels like Mexico City, really. Or, this wow. feels like Mumbai, yeah, yeah, and if somebody yeah. said, what what is it specifically about this area that feels, I, I don't know. I don't it just know. Yeah. feels like Mexico city and Mexico city is the same. It's very evocative of lots of different places, but there's some cities like that. I, I feel most at home in weird when enough. you mentioned Sao Paulo, when I first landed in Sao Paulo, 2011, I think I went for the first time I landed and within five minutes, I'm like, I'm in Manila. I <laughs> honestly, and to this day I have, it's the same color, the same air, the same, of course, chaos in a way. It's totally different at the same time. But for me, I read it probably because I had that book before. So you mentioned language. For me, the language was Manila because I lived yeah, there. Yeah. And I arrive there and I feel home just because I, I don't know why. I cannot explain it. I just feel Something. that it's yeah. very, the, look, you know, I, I could, I could, um, every city I could give them a, a color, a color or a palette, you know, like they have certain colors that it, and for me, Manila and, and Sao Paulo are exactly the same. Like wow. exactly the same with that instant. Of course, it's still yeah, different, yeah. right? Yeah, but even I mean, even though we have that individual kind of reaction, there's, there is something about them which, which is sh- you know shared as well. I was uh, I was doing an interview uh, for Imagine a City uh, last week, and and we were talking about Lisbon, and and the interviewer was actually uh, Portuguese, 
And I was saying, you know, I, whenever I heard people say, or, or read in a travel article, people would say, you know, the city, the city has like, oh, the light of X city or Y city is amazing. I was, I was a little skeptical. It struck me as like maybe a little bit too poetic or mm-hmm. a little bit of a reach to, to say, I'm like, you know, light is light until I went to Lisbon and, and the light there is just unbelievable. It, it's this, um, well, to compare it to other, I mean, it feels a little bit like the Bay Area, where it's just that golden. Yeah. It's like it's like buttery but clear at the same time. And and when I walk around Lisbon, the first time I went there as a as a short haul pilot, I was, you know, and the other reason it's like San Francisco is that they they have a bridge there, which is very much like yes. the uh, the Golden Gate. Although it was designed by the same guy that did the Bay Bridge, not the Golden Gate. It's weird. It's there's some <laughs> I can't remember all the details there. Um, but the first time I went to Lisbon, I thought, oh my, this is what people mean when they say a city has beautiful light. And and uh, I was telling this Portuguese woman this last week, and she's like, and she said, well, in Portuguese we say Lisbon is the city of light, not the city of lights, but the city of light. And I thought, and I didn't know that um, until last week. And 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 so it was also quite comforting to um, to sort of land on on an impression that is, you know, shared by some number of others. Yeah. 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 Well, I think that's the, the thing about impressions in cities is that the, the mechanic you use often in the book, which I think is really going to resonate with our audience is that is the approach, the, the, the last 45 minutes of a flight into a city, uh, or the, or the departure. And especially the most evocative one for me, I think for many reasons is Hong Kong. Obviously. Yeah. When you describe the reveal, uh, you're yeah, coming in yeah, from the East yeah. down the Island, down the, the, between the Island and Kowloon to land. And you, you suddenly are just given this light show below you. It's something Sometimes that literally, literally depending on literally, the time. Yeah, you hit the, if you <laughs> nail it right. Yeah. Every day. Um, but yeah, we should, we should accelerate in the aircraft just to make sure we uh, <laughs> yeah, to get were there for the light show. Don't, don't show. you say that Hong Kong was your first flight as an actual pilot? Yeah, as a, oh, a 747. 747. Yeah, yeah. Wow. yeah. which made it doubly or triply memorable. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But I was thinking about it when you know doing that trip so many times as a as an airline brat in Hong Kong, having come from a city that was new to me, like going to Sri Lanka when I was 11 years old, or or somewhere that I was like, okay, wow, that was intense and and you know, it may be broadly intimidating coming around the checkerboard into Kai Tak and being able to sink into my seat and relax going <sighs> familiarity home Yeah, yeah. where somebody else mm-hmm. shooting the same approach or landing or getting into a taxi or stepping out of the airport might for the first time might be, there might be a spike of intimidation there. Mm-hmm. in the Absolutely. same place, same buildings, same city. We yeah, have yeah. vastly different experiences. Yeah, we, carry our, we carry ourselves when we read a city. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I only went to, um, to the old airport in Hong Kong once as a passenger. And uh, yeah, I had, I had, I was looking down at the city and, um, thinking that I was in the most different place in Pittsfield I'd ever been to, um, which was quite different from Yeah. The, I mean, with the new airport, at least yeah. you have a sort of introduction. You go into a modern facility, like it could be anywhere else in the world. You get on the airport express and you're gradually exposed yeah. Yeah. to this yeah. human hive. Yeah. Whereas at Kai Tak, you were just like, get out. <laughs> and I, have, I have to say one of the most, you know, we, we usually take buses, uh, from the airport into the cities that we go to, um, as, as crew. And the most unbelievable bus journey of all is, um, is uh is the one from from Hong Kong's airport in, in you know out to the island. I mean the last bit into the island, you know, you're in that tunnel, but those those first few miles where you're yeah. just going over those islands and the and the port facilities are just yeah. and you kind Gigantic, of Gigantic, yeah. Yeah, and you look and you see 
I think Hong Kong is the only place in the world where they offload ships in the harbor because there isn't enough. I mean, they do both, um, you know, dockside yeah. loading and unloading, but they also do it in the harbor because, and, and just to <clears throat> and to just to see the scale of those port facilities, which would astonish, I think, many people who weren't familiar with the scale of of the economies of East Asia, um, and then and then to come to this this forest of skyscrapers, which. You know, again, um, you know, you talk about New York. Uh, I, I love the New York skyline, um, but by any sort of objective measure, Hong Kong's is is a is a more impressive one yeah. um, in terms of the height of buildings and the number of buildings that exceed certain certain heights. Yeah, you referenced that in the book. I thought that was a fascinating <laughs> statistic that we one measure of sky linearity. I like that. <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't quite roll off the tongue, does it? But it's a it's a I think it's a good concept. It just needs perhaps a better word than I could come up with. That's perfect. <laughs> I, I would say that uh, landing and or departing, especially departing in Dubai nowadays, since the Burj Khalifa was was yeah, built, it's amazing and you are yeah. departing, and the Burj Khalifa is still taller than you, and you're like, how is that even possible? Yeah. And I see it. Are we not too close for comfort to <laughs> fly there? Yeah, it's absolutely impressive. I just um, I just finished a book called uh, Super Tall, um, which is about skyscrapers, which uh -huh. is really. Um, um, you know, right up um, our alleys, given what we've just been talking about. Um, but it talks about how, how skyscrapers have kind of changed the, um, have changed how we live and, and how cities work and how important they'll be to the future. Um, and there's a, there's a whole section on, um, on the Burj, of course, because it's, you know, it's mind boggling. It's mind blowing. And they yeah, a whole other chapter on Singapore and it's, it's green skyscrapers and it's a great book, but yeah, I've in one actually. Um, there's one hotel, I forget park hotel. Is that the name? When everything they have lush greeneries everywhere uh, in Singapore, so there is one of the I think one of the first attempts to do these kind of neo skyscrapers that are more sustainable. Well, there's there's one where they the, the they downside is it's very humid because it's a lot of lush oh, greenery. Really? <laughs> yeah. Well, there's one where they have the trees growing sideways and they have to turn the pots so they don't they, so don't they keep growing sideways, sideways. and start growing up, um, which seems kind of sad for the trees. Yeah. But. <laughs> Yeah, um, I wanted to say something, and I forgot. Um, you just you just remind me of something, but it, it, well, never mind. So, um, New York, you've lived. How long have you lived in? Uh, uh, we were there for for eight or nine years. So, how long did it take you? Because we, um, Alex just mentioned having this feeling of landing and like I'm home, mm -hmm. and for someone like me, at least having moved around. Some places I felt very quickly at home. So for me, for instance, Tokyo, as soon as I was landing, and back then was Narita, which oh, arguably is not even in Tokyo it's so far, but I mean, as, for me, it was, I was home. Um, I had the same feeling in, in Manila, it took uh, probably a bit longer. London took me almost five years. I was, every time I was landing, I was like, this is, I still cannot understand that I live here or kind of thing, right? right? right yeah, yeah. Now it's clear. Now, you know, I land and I'm like, I, everything, you know, even the, 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 the most, nicest approach when you go over the O2 and you take a, yeah. the, the turn to go to be in line with Heathrow. It took me five years. For you, did New York feel, because you're also a pilot, when you were landing there, did you feel home right away or you took it? You know, it's, it's funny. I mean, New York has, you know, there are countries, there are countries in the world where the main city has just this, this incredibly dominant role. Mm -hmm. in the city. So like, like in like Brussels and, in, in, in Belgium where my father was from, um, or, you know, you could look at, at maybe Copenhagen and Denmark or, you know, places or Tokyo and Japan, certainly where, where the main, the, the main city has such an important role that if you, if you grow up in, if you grow up in that country, um, 
you're you're going to have this kind of constant drip of experiences of it because you're going to be you're going to be aware that your media come you know the newscaster is there and the train lines go there and the roads go there. I mean, you know, you know, it's not quite all roads lead to, but in in some countries it's close to them. London is arguably. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you know, I have um, you know, I have friends who, or my husband Mark, like he, you know, he grew up in Southampton and was all you know, London was just this kind of constant presence of this place that you kind of always you were kind of always going to and and kind of it was you went shopping there you know i mean in new, and and i had a little bit you know new york doesn't dominate the us obviously to the same degree but it does dominate that part of the us sure and you know when i was growing up if we wanted like a a new camera or a television we would like go to new york cuz it was cheaper like yeah. that you know and so new york had this kind of and then like so many school trips we went on Uh, we're, we're to New York, you know, like I have, there's these photos of me. Um, there's lots of photos of me, like atop the trade center in New York and, or we went to the stock exchange because that was something. Yeah. And, um, or, you know, the museums obviously. So New York had this, has this weird, it has this weird, it was the city. Like it's very like, America, isn't it? That's, yeah. I mean, that's, there's not many where you just think, well, it's, I suppose London is the same, but New York in the minds of everybody that is not American is America. Yeah. Or Manhattan. Yeah. 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 I mean, forget yeah. the rest of New York. You know, that is, that is the iconoclastic representation of, and of so, America. And so many of the friends I grew up with, you know, not too many of them are there now in New York, but a lot of them were there for a couple of years. You know, they went there um, either for college or for their first job or they, they started their first job in Boston, but then got promoted to New York, which, you know, says it all in some ways. And then it's transient. I mean, it's like, yeah. Of, and then people moved more. out. Yeah. But so New York kind of, it kind of always, I don't know. It always felt, um, it always felt a little bit like a place where I didn't have to feel like a stranger when I got out of the station or out of the airport. Because, and I, I think many people who live around London feel that way. They come to London, and and it's not it's not a big deal. It's just the city. It's and you know they're they don't um, there's no reason to feel like you're in a place that's strange to you in some ways because it's been such a constant, it's like a sun in some ways or um, whatever the right metaphor is. Um, Boston's a more curious place for me because I, I did live there um, in, after, after I first lived in the UK. When I went back to the US, Boston is where I lived. And Boston, again, had that kind of childhood um, residence and in some ways less than New York because it's a smaller city, but in some ways more because it, it was closer and we went there maybe more often. And then I did live in Boston. And it's also where my parents met. So my, uh, my parents met in Boston. They first um, lived there. Uh, many of the, f their kind of, you know, your parents tell you stories about, you know, oh, when we lived here or, oh, when we first met uh, your godmother or, you know, all those stories were centered in Boston. Mm -hmm. um, and then I actually lived in Boston when I was in my, at that management consultancy job. And, and so Boston was um is even more tied to the to to kind of family and and um to how my dad arrived in the country and and i would say that the most you know the most kind of resonant flight personally i mean hong kong was amazing but the most resonant first flight for me was when i first flew a plane to boston mm -hmm. that was and i was you know coming in and, and i could you know see the office i'd worked at a few years before and i knew that my parents um, had, you know, and there were all these, all these weird coincidences. Like my parents had both found apartments in Boston that were very close to each other before they knew, um, 
before they knew where the other lived. And then I, when I first got an apartment there, it was like a block from where my dad, I mean, it's weird, right? Uh, it's like I had the, this like, I have their neurons and I just looked and thought, oh, that's a nice, this is a nice street. You know? <laughs> and 40 years later, I, I rent an apartment there or whatever, 30 years later. Um, so Boston has a, has a nice uh, and sometimes eerie kind of sense of the past and the present. Do you guys, do you know Boston? Do you, do you have Boston experiences? Mm -hmm. that you... I'm sure Alex knows you very yeah, well. Yeah, we have yeah. family out there. Yeah. yeah. I, I've only been twice. And the last time was like 25 years ago, so uh, I don't. I wouldn't say I know it well. I, I, it felt. I know. Sorry, guys from Boston. It always felt, you know, again from someone not going to the U.S. that much when I was young. Um, I mean, I lived there, but it's a long story. But it felt like I want to go to New York. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like it was this thing that it was. Yeah, why not? But New York. And when I had to make a choice of a holiday, it would be like, let's stop in Manhattan, like Alex yeah. said. Brooklyn wasn't even a thing back then, right? You, you would not even consider, right? Uh, you, you got lost if you ended up in Queens, something like, because I was a pure tourist. And Boston wasn't, uh, wasn't on the map. I can't, well, sorry, I, I, I'm sure have, some of the listeners will hate me now for saying this. On behalf this, of the Red Sox <laughs> hat that I um, was wearing yesterday, I will, uh, I, will, uh, I will stand up for Boston. But I do... Uh, you know, I regret was, it, however, you know, because well, there, was this, there was this moment. I think I, I think I read about this in the book. There's a there's a sign in downtown Boston. Yeah, you say um, to get onto the, the Massachusetts Turnpike. Um, and the sign is in the middle of Boston and it says New York this yeah, way. Yeah. And it's such a strange sign to me. And it really Welcome does not leave. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's just I mean, you know, New York isn't even on that road. You know? I mean, <laughs> what that road is. I didn't realize I mean, it is it is the first road you might take to get to New York, but you'd have to take several others. Um, and you know, from that position in Boston, I mean, you could signpost Los Angeles, Chicago. Sure. Chicago actually is on that road. Seattle's on that road, um, and so and so the, that sense of New York's gravity um, continuing out even into the even into the um, the innermost sanctums of Boston is a uh, is something I I kind of. Uh, find interesting and, and definitely wanted to write about in the book. It's like, it's like those people that do not really count Yokohama because there's not even like a limit. You know, if you, if you've ever been to Yokohama, yeah, it's yeah. kind of continuation of Tokyo. There's not at some yeah, point like yeah. rice fields in another obvious. city. Yeah, exactly. It's like the same city. And so most people, unless you live there, to just like consider it almost the same city. Yeah. No, it's not. It must be really kind of, um, you must feel like the little brother is being like not talked about. Yeah, like, Come on, I'm yeah. here and I'm big. And yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's quite a big city. Um, and sometimes when you even see lists of, um, you know, in the, I think it's always really interesting how you define a city. Like if you, yeah. if you do population wise, if you just do the city limits, well, that's obviously not a very useful measure. But then if you start expanding it out into, metro or, into metro yeah. area, yeah. Um, then you, or commuting distance, or you have that there are these vague concepts of sort of economic interdependence. Um, and, you know, that's a whole other interesting question. But you, when you see those lists, actually, Yokohama sometimes paired with Tokyo. So you see Tokyo-Yokohama. Yeah, um, because it is. Because yeah. Most, I, I'm like, let's say at least a good 30% of my friends live in actually uh, Yokohama and commute every day to work in Tokyo. In Tokyo, right. But they don't even, I mean, they say they're in Yokohama, but it, they see it as the same part of it. It's like an organism, right? Yeah. There's no, there's yeah. no differentiation. Yeah. All the trains... Yeah, I, this is why these, these, these lists, like you said about the, the biggest city is always kind of very, like even in Europe, you know, 
people say, oh, is Paris bigger than London or the opposite? And like, how do you, where do you put the limit in London? Where do you put the limit in Paris? Yeah. So Paris is more dense in the center. So obviously probably there's a little bit more people and, and people actually do live in the center. Whereas in London, you have to go a little bit more outside. So it's very complicated. And, and then the, um, it creates all that, you know, sense of, pride and chauvinism about yeah, my city is bigger <laughs> yeah. as if it matters at all <laughs> oops is it me so, oh, we have an alarm yeah as you can see guys we're doing that live there's an alarm in the building somewhere so let's see if we get clear if we need to escape this building on fire no it stopped i hope by the way that the sound is good uh, it's a we're using a room in central london and uh, I can hear the sound. It seems to be okay. Uh, slightly echoey because we're in a small room with big windows, which is very nice. So I hope it's going to be good. There's no echo of Paul this time, unlike last time. A lot of people <laughs> comment, commented, commented on that. There was a period... Again. Uh, it's fine, no, let's yeah, ignore it. Um, <laughs> there was a period in like 2018 where I was traveling so much. Like just, yeah. it was... And everything became a blur. And I'm like, am I going to Tallinn or Vienna today? And I would have to go through this process under my head to make sure that I didn't underappreciate that I was doing this, of picturing where I was on the globe, forcing myself. And the opening of your book with the spin. Is it possible we, should, we, have to actually, we actually do we have, have to leave Earth? Earth. <laughs> okay. Let's see at some point we all. When all the people start running by the window, we know they yeah. leave right on cue. Run, you know, it's like cry wolf. You know? <laughs> yeah. We don't we ignore it. Maybe, it's, maybe the building is yeah, actually on fire. On behalf of a safety-related profession, yeah. <laughs> yeah. may I suggest we, we heed the alarm? That's a... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I agree with you. Sorry, I, yeah. The, yeah. I, I have the same because uh, 2018, 19, that's where we we're both really traveling a lot. At some point, you're right. You, you become almost like if you don't explicitly think about it, it feels like a blur because you're going to one city and yeah. you're like, why am I doing? You know, it's like you don't appreciate it anymore. And I, and I, I did that and it made me appreciate, you know, just how I, how I got there and where I was and all of that stuff. And then obviously I didn't do it for two years because of COVID. And then, um, as I talked about in previous episodes, my wife and I were just in, in the Maldives and I did it there. And I was like, not in Kansas anymore. I am in the <laughs> middle of friggin' nowhere. And it was, there was just like this twinge of isolation and, you know, just like, oh, I haven't felt this in a while. And then I went and jumped in the ocean and I was fine. But it's uh, it's quite a powerful exercise. I would imagine for you, it must be quite weird to go. Well, where am I again? Yeah, I mean, I was you know when you were talking about Athens earlier. You know, there's this there's this other kind of category of cities in some ways, which are the cities that I, I go to, but I've never actually been into the city because we just fly there and turn around. Ah. And the, I think the best or the most um, sort of evocative example of that is Athens. And so when I used to fly the Airbus on, on short haul routes in Europe, I, I would go to Athens quite often, but we would just, it was always a there and back. So we call it um, in a slightly Tolkien-esque uh, phrase, you know, we would, we would like fly from, you know, fly from London to Athens, be on the ground for an hour and then fly back to London. And so uh, you know, to 
to think about cities and to, to have seen Athens. I mean, I know what it looks like. I know the color of the buildings and the weather. Um, and yet I've never walked through it. It's this, it's this weird thing. There must be quite a short list though. Is there, are there many places where you didn't have the, uh, the opportunity? Yeah. A few others. So, um, Sofia in Bulgaria. Oh, I was, uh, I was supposed to be there today, actually. All right. Thank God I'm here actually. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Stefan. A few others, uh, Tripoli, Moscow, um, Oh, Moscow is amazing. Uh, Zagreb. Oh. Yeah. Um, but mo- most cities we, we would, if, if not every time, then sometimes we would, we would stay overnight and, and have those kind of longer experiences. I, I have, it was totally, Ryan, you'll be lucky because I wasn't talking about this. He's uh, one of our uh, listeners and he sent me that exact question. So I wanna, you kind of gave the answer, your answer. I want to hear Alex's answer. Uh, <laughs> Do you consider a layover in a certain country having been to that country? For example, going YYZ, ICN, BKK, so Bangkok, without actually entering oh. ICN. Can you say you've been to Korea? My fiancé and I bring up this debate quite often. Ryan Banks on Instagram. So have you actually been to the country? or to the, At least the country. He asks not about the city. Have you been to the country if you just set foot to the, in the airport? You mean if you have like a bucket a list layover. or if you're, if you're checking a countries off the list? I don't know what you're... <laughs> Gosh, I mean, I mean, I would, I would say yes because that would help my numbers. <laughs> that would be a, that would be a, a big boost for my numbers. But I can yeah. I can see both sides of it. Uh, you know, certainly airports are. They're know, almost like a city itself, right? So, they are. Yeah. They are. Um, and and you know they're you know they are in some ways um, these kind of internationalized places, but in other ways they're you know they're more. Um, you know, you do get a sense of of the place. Uh, I start with the book. I start Imagine a City with uh, with the description of being in Abu Dhabi, and yeah. and I'm kind of you know when I write that I'm in Abu Dhabi and I'm I'm in the city. I'm in a hotel and and, and looking out of the city. But I reference in my first trip there when um, when I was on my way to uh, to East Africa in grad school, and I. I Spent two hours in Abu Dhabi before changing planes. Um, I think the plane then stopped in Muscat and then and then went on to Nairobi, um, which, if you're um, a 22 year old plane geek, is I mean, it, it's the, what? How else would you want to spend 24 hours? <laughs> um, the alarm again. Yeah, let's let's go until they throw us out. We'll s- no, go. On. Let's go. Go continue. Sorry sure. for that, guys. If we if we if we if you read a piece of news that uh, three Av geeks have burnt in central <laughs> London, you'll know that was us. I'll try to put that out before we do so. That will but, be our legacy. Sorry, but, Mark, the, but no, but you know, but that you know. So I was there for two hours, but I remember the airport really well from that visit. And when and, was that, if I may ask? Uh, that was ninety. Oh yes. eight. Wow. So ninety eight. The new tower was in there. So Abu Dhabi is that tower makes the entire airport. You know, like feels like almost like. Um, like a f- veil of, yeah. uh, like a sail in a, like in a super remote right. thing when you taxi, you see it, you know, especially with that kind of haze that the sand gives, it feels yeah. like it's like by itself in the middle of the desert and this tower. And for me, that gives you, that's, that's what I, I love that airport just for that. Yeah. So I, I do think airports can, can spark longer term interests in places. Um, it, cer- it certainly has for me. Do you, I, 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 we didn't prepare this, so maybe he doesn't have an answer. Do you think because some airports we, we know the big the, the you know the the, the the big airports of this world? Some we know that we love, some we know that we don't love. Hello, Frankfurt. Uh, <laughs> that's me. Mark didn't say that. Uh, <laughs> however, do you do you feel 
is there like an airport, maybe a several, that you feel are a very good match with the city they represent? Because sometimes some airports are very either neutral, so they're like the sameness. You feel it could be, it could, yeah, it could be anywhere. Some are very, obviously the smaller one is easier, right? Like if you're in a small airport uh, on a, like St. Lucia went like last month, obviously it feels like the, 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 the place they, they represent. But do you, is there like one airport that maybe is in your mind about something that you enter the airport, you're like, oh, I know it. And once you visit the city, yeah, that airport matches the city, maybe in its color, maybe in its ambiance or. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, you know, the first, my first reaction to your question was to think of the places where you get off the plane on steps Yeah. and yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, you kind of walk down the steps um, and you know, you're, you feel the air, yeah, yeah. Um, you feel that non sort of, conditioned air and you feel the wind or the, the rain or something. But of course, most of those places that I go to, that I've been to are very warm places. Yeah. Um, and, and so it's, it's a real, well, I've, done, I've done the, I've done the stairs in the middle of the snowstorm in, in Helsinki. So that works. Oh, as well. Well, well, <laughs> so, I mean, so I think that's, um, perhaps too easy an answer to your question though, because you know, that, that sense of having a sense of that sense of, you know, seeing the, Feeling the place, already. feeling the place, and having a, a, a sort of sight line to the terrain or the water around it, or whatever, um, is maybe too too simple an answer. In terms of the, you know, the new terminal in uh, in L.A., the international terminal LAX, Tom, Tom Bradley International, yeah, yeah. that has. Um, oh, well, of course, I have to say. Okay, I should have started with Honolulu because it's open air. <laughs> I was thinking of Hawaiian places too, where there, there's no barrier between where the city ends and where the airport begins, and the, the promise is made as soon as you step off the airplane and through. And yeah, there's no, there's no walls. There's no walls. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was, that was so exactly where mine went. Mine went yeah, too. I went. I, uh, a good friend of mine. In fact, in fact, the friend um, Kieran Kapoor, the the woman I write about in the chapter about Delhi, um, she grew up mostly in Hawaii, and so and her husband is also a good friend and. So they got married in Hawaii, and and I went um, I went to their wedding. That was the only time I've been to Hawaii, and I I mean, you just I was blown away by yeah. um, by that experience. Um, and then I mean, actually, I was living in Boston then, and I had to come back to go to work. Uh, so I could only stay in, in Honolulu for three or four days, and and then I flew back to Boston, and I had I was it was overnight. I guess I flew to L.A. and then overnight to Boston, and I had to go straight to work. And my office was on the waterfront. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was the first time I took a water taxi from Logan to the office. And, um, you know, you know, Logan is another airport where you, you know, you see water. So you see water all around you. Mm -hmm. So it's very clear you're in a port city. Um, and so that does evoke Boston, but then (laughs) it especially evokes Boston. If you then, if you then go to the water taxi and, you know, I thought the water taxi, this is like 20 years ago, more now, but. I thought I'd never taken it. I thought, oh, there's a water taxi. It's going to be like a, you know, um, it's going to be like this really like swish, like service that's like really yeah, regular. Yeah. And it was like, you know, the guy, in the, the the sailor in the Simpsons with the, like the yellow rain. Yeah, yeah. like, that was like the guy. And I mean, and like I go up and I'm like, can I have a water taxi to, I can't remember the name of the wharf. And I mean, I mean, it was, it was like a rowboat. It wasn't a rowboat. It was like a very small, it was a very small boat with, uh, in a very unofficial, <laughs> unofficial format. Um, and, uh, you know, and then we kind of motored across Boston Harbor. I think I still had my lay on, you know, from, right. from, from the wedding. Um, 
And then he like pulled up in front of the the wharf and I had to like jump up the stock like several feet oh. to walk into my office. So that's um if you arrive in Boston like that, there's there's no question about where you are. <laughs> Alex, is there one that you find? Well, out? I mean the Hawaiian ones were the one were in my head. I think Male as well. Yeah, for for Male, not yeah. the Maldives. Like Male Airport as it is now feels like the rest of Male. Yeah. You know, open air, open warm. Air, yeah. The the desk fan that's been removed from its stand and bolted to the wall. It's very Male. But I, yeah. yeah, the Hawaiian ones is where I... I would say that there. actually Hong Kong looks like... I don't know why. I, I think San Francisco I, as well, now that I think about it. I now, don't know. Because, like, for instance, even Jap- Japanese airports are not very... They don't they not stand out, right? They, they I mean, even Haneda, to me... I mean, I feel home when I go there, but it doesn't represent the city more than this, to be honest. I'm talking on the way in, right? Not on the way out when you yeah, have yeah. this kind of fake Edo village and it makes it like Japan. Uh, Hong Kong for me, I, because I, I came very late to Hong Kong, right? Um, so my first time was in the 2000s. No, no, sorry, late 90s. And the airport, the new one, I, I don't know why. For me, it feels like the city already. I wonder if the answer to your question, or the best answers might involve food, actually. Oh, of course. But when you arrive, that's what I'm saying. When you, uh, arrive, when you, when arrive, you leave, obviously, yeah, you've yeah. been to the city and you have time. When you arrive, yeah. it's more like, because it's the first thing you see from a new country, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Some airports are like, I mean, the first time I arrived in Manila, it was the old T1. I mean, it still exists, but it's been refurbished. Oh, my God. I mean, I had, you know, it's one of these cities. I moved to Manila without having any idea of how it looks. You know, there's some cities in the world, I mean, we just mentioned, we talked about, obviously, New York, but even Hong Kong, and there's these mega cities, obviously, but also smaller ones that you have kind of an idea of how it should look. At least in your head, you made a, a construct. Manila had no idea. The only thing I knew about Manila was World War II movies from Hollywood, but, you know, I've actually never been. And you arrive at the airport, thank God, it's, it's better now. And, I mean, it was raining inside, and everything, it was, everything was, like, falling down, and I was like, What's, what's going on here? And meaning that it's really the first impression I will always have had from the Philippines. I fell in love with the country and there's nothing to do with the airport. But, it, but as a tourist, it's really literally your introduction to the country. Vancouver is a good one. Uh-huh. But when you arrive there, they've got, um, there's a lot of wood. There's like a big water True. feature, like a waterfall. And you, you, can, it's, you can smell the, I don't know actually if you're smelling the chlorine or if you're smelling some fresh water smell, but you're, you can smell that waterfall in the, in the immigration hall from, you know, from hundreds of meters away. And so, and, and, you know, it's not crowded. Um, it's efficient. It's, 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 uh, you know, it's a good, it feels like Canada. Arlanda <laughs> yeah, yeah. uh, or Copenhagen could also be there. Copenhagen, yeah, especially yeah, I think Arlanda yeah. is maybe a little bit less, But I think that's the problem now with modern airports, right? Yeah, the so they're all commodity. Oslo, Oslo, is, Oslo, yeah, is you're right. Beautiful airport, and it's woodiness. Woodiness, exactly. It's yeah, really distinctive. I mean, in, and I mean, if you think of if you think of sort of modern Scandinavian yeah. design and yeah, yeah, how yeah. that would, how cliche, you make an airport, right? you yeah. would, you would um, you'd end up with Oslo. Which is Zur- really- Zurich Gates E. I think it's very Zurich. Again, you mentioned the book. It's very Swiss. The cliche we have. I can say that because I'm a Swiss. Like everything is neat and square, and well, Gates E at which is the international gates, it, like it's neat and square. It like, it, for me, it feels like the country. So, so yeah. Is that the one it. where you have the train that has the digit, the video yes. playing on the walls yes. as you're moving, which they're yes. assembling from images along the tunnel? Correct. Yeah. 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 Is, there, is it a woman eating a piece of chocolate? Did I make that up? I think. I think, isn't she like having like a. I think. 
<laughs> I think so. That was like probably like 15 years ago. I don't know. No, I think so. It's hard to make, you know, it's one of these things that looks good on paper. Like, oh, we'll have something that if you look at the wall of the train moving, you'll be able to make something. And it's like they do that in tunnels in, in, for cars as well. And you look at it, I see red and concrete and, uh, and you don't know what it is. So I think it was a good idea. But yeah, well, for the record. Yeah. Ryan, my brothers and my dad and I have very strict rules on this because we're always comparing our little competitive league tables on how many cities we've all been to. <laughs> Unless you have stepped outside, breathed in the air, taken some food, and slept there. Ah, ah okay. No what, what if you sleep at an airport hotel? I was about to say you have a lucky you because you could... I think it's Narita. You visited Narita many times then. Yeah. yeah. I well, think it's I the time. <laughs> it's that you have to have stayed overnight in an for airport. It to count. Can it be an airport hotel? It though? can be an airport hotel. Yeah. Can it be airside? Yeah. I think <laughs> like, I mean, we go to Doha. I can add some, uh, some detail to these rules here. Doha, right? you know, they have these airside hotel when you do, I'm going to do it no, on I Sunday. I think it's more the process of, of going out and yeah, experiencing the city. I've I done mean, Doha by the, before the record, but yeah. So there's a, um, there's a, when I was writing Imagine a City, I wanted to, uh, I wanted to get a sense of how many cities I'd been to, um, and out of how, out, you know, and I ended up, I landed on this UN list that was the large, the the cities in the world that had more than a million people, okay. and mm-hmm. they defined it, they kind of let the city define it, whether it was just the the political boundaries of the city or a larger area, um, like a metropolitan area. So that means there's an inherent difference in how cities are calculated, but there are 500, there were 548 of those. Um, and I went through the list and I thought, Oh, as a pilot, I'll have been to like most of them. I'd been to about a quarter. Really? Yeah. And of that 548, 120 were in China. I was about to say probably. Right. And um, we've never heard of half of those names. Yeah. Many, almost all of those names were, were new to me. And you know, I think, Oh, you know, I've been to so many cities. I've been to four Chinese cities. Um, and then I think maybe 60, I can't remember exactly, 60 of them were in India and I've been to five or six. Yeah. Um, and I mean that, those statistics blew me away because, um, That's you know, they, they reminded me that even a pilot isn't really going to go to, I mean, a million is a good cutoff for a big, for a big city, I think. Yeah. yeah. I think if you go to a yeah. city that has a million people, that's going to really feel like a city. Yes. Um, so a, I was blown away. There's 550 of them. B, I was blown away that as a pilot, um, I've only been to a long haul pilot. I've been to about a quarter of them and I was finally blown away, blown away to realize or be reminded at least of, of the predominantly non-Western character of our urban world. Um, Mm. that, you know, it's not, uh, you know, the, the, the idea that most people who live in cities are not living in the West is something that I think it's easy to forget when you live in a big city yeah. in the West. Yeah, it's downtown. I call it downtown Asia because if you look at the number of simply the number of people in Asia and then you look at how many of them actually in cities, yeah. it's just yeah. staggering compared to uh, we're very uh, quaint here. Even London. It's I mean, it's, uh, <laughs> I mean, I love it. But there's just, sometimes there's also this sense of, um, mm, um, some Europeans will have will look down on some cities. This is how a lot of people, why a lot of people look down on cities like Abu Dhabi or Dubai, because they're like, oh, they're too new. So they, they cannot be cities because we've been here for a thousand. And you're like, what? I don't talk. I, I'm the same. I think it's completely the wrong. The provenance of the city is more important. I mean, Dubai is a fascinating yeah, story. Exactly. It's a fascinating no, story. 
But I mean, there's this kind of, you know, um, and Europeans are very guilty of that because they will look down on mm. cities in the US as well. They'll, they'll say, you know, New York, yes, Boston, yes, but then you go westwards. And like, yeah, yeah. These well, are not. I think, I think it's interesting to think of also how many how many cities throughout history have been planned from the beginning. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, I was about, it's yeah, exactly I mean, where I was going, yeah, where I wanted I, to go because you mentioned Brasilia, which I've, have you been, Alex? No, I've never been. This, obviously for Avgeeks, it's, and for people who love cities, it's, there's like um, something very special in Brasilia because it was actually designed like a plane with a government on top. I'm, 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 I'm not exactly remembering exactly. It's, it doesn't actually look like that nowadays, obviously, but and there's a, there's but, a, I mean, the, the, the general outline is still, it's a plane. It's, well, it's a bird or a cross or, or a plane depending yeah. on your, on your allegiances, <laughs> but, but it's, um, but it's, I mean, if you're an av geek, it's, uh, it's, you know, it's an amazing place to see from above and then, and then to go. I mean, it was, and the ways in which those architects um, were, uh, were yeah. thinking of aviation as, as, as part of this kind of glorious future that a, that a city, a new capital could, could move an entire country or even a continent towards is, is really special. And, that, and the idea that cities, yeah, the idea that cities are, you know, cities do grow organic organically. And some of the ones people love best are these kind of old organic, almost boutique cities, but, but the idea that, uh, you know, a new city would be founded and built along a plan, um, and, uh, and would represent a whole set of things, a whole set of concepts, uh, you know, political and literary and, and, uh, you know, military even, uh, you know, that's something Mm -hmm. that, uh, that's a whole other aspect of cities, which I, which, you know, I talk about mainly through Brasilia, which was, which was so important to my dad uh, when he lived there, but yeah, yeah, it was Oscar Niemeyer who did, I think, I'm pretty sure that Oscar Niemeyer called the top of where the old government buildings are, the cockpit. I'm pretty sure. Really? I'm not, well, I'm not well, uh, like, yeah. I wish I, I wish that. But I've never been. Actually, there's a movie, if you guys are interested, it's a French movie with uh, Jean-Paul Belmondo. It's called L'Homme de Rio. So the men are in Rio, the men off Rio. And they had the authorization of filming in Brasilia before it was opened. Oh my so God. So you see, wow. just for that, we probably can look it up on YouTube. Oh, and you see amazing. some of these, some of the cities completely, uh, some, some, some of the parts of this, of the city. I bet my dad empty. saw that film. <laughs> am, I the, am I in the presence of two lefties? I mean, statistically, yes. that's pretty weird. Right? Yeah, it is actually. Yeah, you know, right. um, it's left-handed people are way overrepresented among pilots. Is that really? true? Yeah. No I, I'm waiting. Someone needs to do a study on it. I don't know why it is, but it's I think true. it's uh, CEOs and uh, and U.S. presidents as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when I did the army in Switzerland, it's cons- you know it's conscription in Switzerland for men. Um, I did tests to. I was like, obviously, I was you know I was 18. I'm like, I'm gonna be a jet fighter pilot, obviously, right? So I did uh, the whole test to get into. I was too tall, so there's no way I could have fit. So I was like. <laughs> But I remember having done the first two tests and I also we used to have like, you know, 20, 20 vision, whatever. And they actually said that uh, they had a lot of uh, lefties. I remember yeah. and then yeah. they said, I don't, uh, the I don't know yeah. why, yeah. but yeah. yeah. Maybe I'll think differently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So how is uh, the, air, uh, the approach, the airport of Brasilia? Did you, is it something? So that, uh, I flew there as a passenger actually. Okay. Um, so I flew there from, I was on a very long trip to Sao Paulo. Um, I think I had like six days in Sao Paulo and you know, my dad had lived in Brazil in the 1960s. Uh, he had lived in a whole series of um, cities along the coast. Uh, and, but he, you know, he was very much, very into cities as well and airplanes. Um, it's no, no, uh, no surprise, surprise how I ended up, uh, <laughs> writing a book called Imagine a City or, or Skyfaring. Um, 
And, you know, he'd been there during its construction. So he had oh, wow. taken these photos of, of these buildings that were just kind of ribs, you know, of, 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 of these eventual kind of grand, uh, grand political structures and the cathedral and all that. And, and so I was really, I was really keen to see it. Um, and, uh, of course for anyone who's, you know, thought about cities in a kind of imaginative way or about what they mean or, or why we build them or, or what we would want in them. The idea of a city, which is constructed from scratch, is just, I mean, it's catnip, right? I mean, it's just, um, it's just, um, so, so I, I flew there, um, and, you know, when you land there, I mean, it's, it's like a, it's a savanna yeah. and you can see there was a lot of construction going on on the roads and the, before we got to um, the airport and you could see where the road was cut, where the, sorry, where the earth was cut, just the color of the, of the soil, this really, really bright color. And, mm. and, you know, I talk in, in Imagine City a little bit about, about how unsettled that part of, I mean, how unpeopled that part of Brazil was when it was constructed and, and, and how low the population density was. And, and the idea that you would, you know, we think it's so easy to think of Brazil as a coastal, mm-hmm. as it is maybe of the U S to think of them as, as these essentially coastal countries. countries yeah. Um, and, you know, in America we have this, you know, there's this sense of the heartland and the, the idea that the middle of the country is, is in some ways the middle of, of the imagination in some way. I mean, that's a quite a common, um, uh, way of thinking about the u.s um but that came about as a result of you know of settlement and, and the, the frontier moving across uh, until it reached the other coast and and for me the idea that that brazil would have a, in some way an, an analogous trajectory where you'd have you know you'd have rio um and this you know salvador which i think is the first capital and then rio and you know salvador is a very old city it's a lot of those Brazilian cities are, are many centuries, you know, they're four or 500 years old. Uh, and then the idea that in the 1960s, when, you know, people are getting cars and air travel is taking off, that you would think, like, we have to, you know, we need a new capital and we need to put it in the middle. In the middle, yeah. I mean, that, it's just a very heady, um, you know, obviously it didn't work out as they planned in a lot of ways. I think many more people live outside of the planned part of the city than ever lived in the, than ever lived in, in the, in the sort of, uh, the planned, the planned original. Yeah. Yeah. That's why you don't see that shape. Even if you go Google earth, you cannot make out that shape, that original shape. Yeah. Yeah. Because people it's organic. At some point you live. Yeah. Which itself is something amazing about cities that the organic part, no matter what you plan, eventually the organic part takes over, which is, which is what we see happening everywhere, I suppose. And, and probably for the good, but, but the idea that Brasilia was, was just this, I mean, it's like Washington. I mean, it's like, well, yeah, it's like Washington. if you imagine they built Washington in, Wellington in, in, St. in St. Louis instead of on the coast yeah. or something, mm-hmm. that's the kind of scale I think of what it must've seemed like in uh, Wellington as well. I didn't realize that. I'm pretty sure Wellington is also a planned city. I, I, I mean, at least parts of it, but you know, even, even a city like Paris, it's not a planned city, obviously, but the reason that so many people love these big boulevards is because they've been basically, Osman, the, the yeah, architect, yeah. came and basically redid the entire center of the city. I'm exaggerating a bit, but this is what at some point there was a plan, yeah. right? And uh, so having coming back to what we just discussed, having this kind of like almost um, you know 
attitude like yo my city is much older thus it's it's it's, it's nonsense right it's like, I, well, they I, have to start somewhere yeah, yeah <laughs> but i mean paris is really so i actually had a section in the book which i had to cut because this book oh. was too long <laughs> yeah, but so it's like, you, you don't mention paris i think but, <laughs> um, but i you know when i lived in boston there was uh so in the i guess in the 50s and 60s in boston they built this highway right through the middle of the city oh yeah um called i-93 and uh, there were big fights about it, and it destroyed some very, very historic neighborhoods of Boston. And then when I lived there in the 90s, they had undertaken this thing called the Big Dig, which was this plan to to bury that highway. Um, they didn't. They might have planned it differently and just you know increased public transport and taken out the road entirely. Like I think San Francisco took out its road yeah. after the earthquake. Is that right? Yeah, next to the the, the wharf. No, the, the one. That, was, uh, yeah, the one that was Market. elevated. Okay. The elevated one, right? Yeah. Yeah. So Boston could have done that, but they, instead they decided to bury it. And I don't. I think the project didn't go very well. It was. Uh, it, it took decades, and I think it was many times over budget. And I heard it was the biggest construction project in the world for several years. Mm-hmm. And when I lived in Boston, I had to cross that project to get to work, to get mm-hmm. to the waterfront, to get to the waterfront that had been severed by it, by the construction of the original highway. And I kind of, you looked at this highway and it was kind of decaying and the paint was peeling and you'd walk under and like stuff would drip on you. And, and you're like, why did they ever do this? And, and then I saw a video, a show about the big dig and they talked about how and it showed how that had been modeled when it was first built. And it was like some plan, like some presentation they were giving about when the highway was first built, how innovative it was going to be and how it was going to open up traffic. And you look at this thing and it, it shows it had all these little lights moving along the freeway that they were going to build. It looked like the Jetsons. Mm-hmm. I mean, it looked like the future. And you kind of think if I had seen that, I would have said, great. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. And then Houseman is, you know, is a great example because he, you know, the, the I think the, the, I, I stayed on Boulevard Osman when I used to be a consultant. We used to go to Paris, and we were right by uh, Mira Menil, the, the metro mm-hmm. station. And, and, you know, the character of Paris that a tourist might most easily attach to, um, you know, if, if you're just a visitor or a business traveler like I was, and you look look at these avenues, like, oh, it's Paris, it's beautiful. And you realize that those demolished a medieval exactly. city. Exactly. Um, and so it's really hard to know. We can't know how something's going to most of the time most of the time there's uh, these designs of course they're utopias but at the same time they represent hope you want to like when you look at what uh, Cairo is doing with New Cairo or um, Jakarta they're building because it's sinking so they build this you know there's this horrible traffic they want to it's, it's bit, of course there's hubris sometimes there's which we, but there's a lot of hope when they, they when you plan a new city you're and and successes yeah, like it, it, i think it's almost viewed as a panacea right it's yeah this is going to solve everything yeah we're just gonna yeah. we're just gonna start again everybody yeah well who i mean and who doesn't yeah the idea of starting again is uh yeah it's appealing is, is a very is very appealing yeah, very um, attractive yeah. another another city that was put in the center is obviously astana now called nur sultan in kazakhstan right and it's um they also like have spend a lot of money hiring all these great designers and architects who build all these massive yeah. buildings. Yeah. Some of them look stunning. But the first time I went there, now it's a bit better. There was literally no one. I mean, there's an old part of the city, which is which has people, but the new part of the city, which now is comprised of most of the city, it was empty. Yeah. And you have these huge avenues, and there's not a single car on them. And <laughs> it's very bizarre, but it's... Uh, but at the same time, you want to, you need to, at least I want to acknowledge that, you know, a city needs to start somewhere. 
it didn't have to start a thousand years ago to matter. It can even start now, and maybe actually the city will matter. Actually, I like it. I like, I like, I like North Sultan uh, a lot. The airport is, is pretty cool uh, as well. The light, if you like. The you light. Mentioned, you, yeah. met, you mentioned several times light and air. Because it's in the step, this, like yeah. in the middle of nowhere, the quality of the light, oh, you're on a movie, you're on a movie oh, wow. set. It's the wow. weirdest light ever. Really? A movie set is, is yeah. a great, like, yeah. like you post a picture and people are like, what filters? And you're like, no filter. mother nature, my friend. Yeah. I don't know what is happening, but yeah. it's, wow. it is it's, so strange. It is extremely, and it's, yeah, it is eerie, but in the, not in a negative sense. Like no, really like, it's very, it's striking the first mm -hmm. time. And that light, especially me as a photographer, I was like, what the hell is happening here? I mean, I, I needed to walk. I, you cannot really walk. It's so big. So you have a car, but it's, it's, it's absolutely fantastic. Uh -huh. it, the, um, there's a, have you, since you mentioned Abu Dhabi, have you visited Masdar? They're kind of, uh, it's, they have, they created that small city, which was a showcase of the city of the future. No, but now it's no. 20 years old. Um, and you can see how it ages. They're like, you have, you cannot drive in, in them. So you have, you have pods that take you around the city. Oh, wow. No, my uh, uh, Epcot. Okay. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly <laughs> what I was going with. Wow. It's like, it's still nice, but you cannot, you can feel that it's also all these planned cities are dated at the era they were th thought, you know, like Brasilia. Yeah, yeah. The, the ideas of Le Corbusier and everything. Um, some of them are dated now. You realize that this is not how. Well, you said you're going to Doha. I, uh, another section that I couldn't quite fit in the book um, was about libraries and cities and, and um, the national library in Doha is just stunning. I mean, it looks like an airport for books. I mean, I, maybe I, I, love I just got to send you guys a photo of it, but you know, it's in a new part of the city. I can't remember the, I can't remember yeah, the name. Yeah, a new part of the city. Yeah. yeah. And when I went there, the, 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 the uh, taxi driver was just kind of going around one roundabout after another didn't know where. that didn't even have their plantings on them yet, mm -hmm. you know, and then, you know, and there's, there's a bunch of universities there, I think mm -hmm. maybe out, offshoots of, of Western ones as well as local ones. And then, you know, you come to this library and um, you walk in and there's just, there's like families sitting on beanbags, you know, reading to each other and um, these, these tiered bookshelves and, um, and then, you know, and then I walked out and walked around a little bit and I saw, a new metro station being constructed. Uh, and you kind of think, well, you know, this is, um, this is, this will be a place, you know, this will be a place. This will be this part of the city will be, you know, there are kids going, this is, you know, I think of, I think about, uh, my, the, the library that I grew up going to and, um, it was called the Berkshire Athenaeum. Um, and it's, it's in Pittsfield. It's still there. It's, it's a great little library. And I didn't even understand until I was like maybe in my twenties that, you know, it referenced Athens and a previous Athenaeum. And, um, and yet it was like my default library. And f for those kids in Doha, they, they're going to have this yeah. default library. They'll go to maybe one of them will one day go to, yeah. a, I don't know, the Boston public library. And they'll be like, Oh yeah, this is, this is a library too. I had that library. Yeah. I don't know. Have you, have you guys played uh, SimCity when you were young? Yeah. Uh, me too, a lot. And I always started because I make no sense. I always started with a metro system because I always wanted to have like squares and metro. And you, a good part of the book, you mentioned obviously the Yamanote line, which I yeah. realized you've done the entire, uh, clockwise you've done it. Is that correct? Um, the one in the book I'm going clockwise, well, yeah. clockwise yeah. Yeah. but I, yeah. it's hard to know which way to go. <laughs> it's, uh, I, I was thinking about it this morning when my train was delayed and then it stopped before Waterloo. I mean, I'm just three stops away, but the train is just faster than the tube. And I was like, I miss 
that uh, precision, it's always, on, I mean, I've, I've seen delays, but it's always on time. So what is, do you, because you, you mentioned uh, the, part of the cities is arteries, part of the city is, is feeling, but I really like the infrastructure of a city. And I know that you've, you've recently as well uh, talked, uh, mentioned uh, the new uh, Elizabeth line. So are, yeah, you, are you a lover of these? I am. I am. Yeah. My, my, um, my geekery extends beyond aviation to, to, uh, so this to is an engineering fascinating. <laughs> you guys were going off on Twitter about it and I'm still not completely sold on this. Um, I do love, um, I, I love Metro maps. Um, you know, I, I was often browsing them as a kid. I think the names on them are just the way that they, they suggest something at least about the shape of a, of a city and, and about the, its language. And, um, you know, is, is really special to me. And, you know, the Yamanote line, which, which effectively forms a chapter in the book or, or almost a chapter, um, is this, uh, this above ground railway around, around this, around Tokyo. And it's, I can't remember the exact statistics, but I think at least before the pandemic, more people rode that than would ride the entire London underground system every day. Um, it's just unbelievable. The train, I mean, the trains are almost, I mean, the joke is almost, the joke, yeah, the joke is yeah. just one continuous train. You know, like those old school elevators in, uh, yeah, yeah. in departments. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you, you just jump on. And, uh, but it actually feels like yeah, that, right? It does feel like that. It's, it's nonstop. It's not like here where sometimes I'm like, oh, um, shoot, I missed the train. Where is the next one? And like, I'm in central London and I'm like waiting, waiting. Like it feels like, yeah, man, this is why it's so reliant. This is why so many people yeah. use it, right? Yeah. And also because it shows you all the important parts yeah, of Tokyo, kind of, right? It's set of connections kind of define the rest of the, of the network. Yeah. Um, and my station know. was actually Shinjuku. So that, oh, really? that wow. 3.5 million well, that's, people. That's, um, that's, that's the, the station, isn't it? Yeah. yeah this half, basically since Switzerland is eight, nine, depending million people. So the half of Switzerland was commuting every day on that station. Wow. And when you arrive there and you're like, for me, it was completely mind boggling, but I know it by heart now. I cannot get get lost any, anymore. Yeah. So yeah. Sorry, Alex. And we're losing Alex here. We were talking about metro systems. No, no, no. I love it. <laughs> I love it. I, no, I was just the, the the Queen Elizabeth line. Yeah. I love the this, look. I love the infra, the idea of the infrastructure, how it looks. Yeah. yeah. I don't know how. It, I'm not an engineer in terms of. I don't know how we, what will it solve to the city. I, I'm sure it will mm. create a lot of opportunities. But I'm more the geek, like looking at. I want to see every single station, and I want to see what they did with more than the. Yeah, yeah that's true. I mean, there's architecturally, and I think from a sort of giga engineering perspective, yeah. it was staggering what they did. And I love that every, you know, 25 feet of digging, they would have to stop for four months because there was some architectural discovery, and then. It was all fenced off with little viewports that we, the uh, the public, could go and see what what they were <laughs> up to. A friend of mine's um, father used to work. Uh, she's Greek, and her father used to work in construction in Athens. And I think either, I guess it wasn't her father, but maybe a relative of theirs was involved in the construction of the Athens metro. And basically, uh, you can't like dig. Can't, you can't dig yeah. thirty centimeters in in, yeah, in Athens without hitting some column. From some, yes, right, exactly. You know? But I was <laughs> thinking about the, when you, when you guys were talking about you know, generation versus regeneration when it comes to the birth of a city, it's delicate, isn't it? There's, there's, there's a balance that needs to be struck because there are, there are schools of thought that just say a, a city by definition is ephemeral. It, it, yeah, it needs it, to rejuvenate all the time. All the time. Shed its and skin. We, and, we yeah. will bulldoze medieval Paris with wanton disregard for what it may be regarded uh, like in 200 years from now. And then there is the other side of the spectrum, which is we must preserve everything with 
you know, those care everything, every, nothing is, you know, everything is sacred. Nothing can be changed. I don't really care if the traffic is building up to, 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 you know, debilitating levels. But I think there's, you know, the, the, the happy medium has to be struck. Otherwise we, we, we do lose things. There's, there's parts of the Bay area that are unrecognizable now, even from when I was a snot faced little kid. Um, and I think for me, it's sad because now we're looking back with maybe it's nostalgia. Yeah. I was about to say, that's very hard. The line is very hard. It is hard. It you is know what hard. is just you? Because I, will, we, I think we all have also the, we started with that in the podcast. We all have this um, image of a place from where we knew it best. Yeah. And of course it changes. I said, Geneva doesn't change, of course, but some other places change. And you're like, like the, 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 was it the West? Yeah. The West part, the East part of Shinjuku completely changed from where I was living to now. It's more modern. It's, it's, it's not bad, but so I'm, I'm, I'm having difficulty of, of exactly what mm. Alex just said. I mean, is it because I wanted it to remain the way I knew it and because it was kind of quirky because it was quirky, it was not practical, that part of the, the station. And now it's better. And you're like, did I lose, did we lose something or did I lose something? Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. But it's really it's, hard. Which is right? a standard getting older thing about. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. I, there's that element too, but I, you know, it's in, one of the reasons why I think the, the book offers such an interesting perspective is that to see a city from the air can tell you so much about its geology almost yeah, as yeah. this, as this is. And it's one of the many reasons why we all try and get a helicopter when we film attache is getting up and seeing like Osaka, you know, is an ancient ish city, but a large sections of it were, you know, through man-made and natural disaster rebuilt. And it looks like scar tissue. The color is different. The really? texture is wow, different. How interesting. Yeah. So you can see where there, and you look at it and go something, something bad happened there. Wow. Um, wow. Uh, you know, many, 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 many decades ago, but you can, there's, there's, there's this schism, uh, physically that you can see it's very, it's very striking to me. So I think that perspective and you describe it so beautifully in the book is, is, is really important. Even if you never get at the ground level. In fact, I don't think you obviously wouldn't notice at ground level, Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. but at one to 30,000 feet, you do see that that geological makeup of a city and I'm talking geological in, in modern terms, not in ancient terms. So but even, even in the older terms, like, you know, it's sometimes, you know, you come to, when you come to like Boston from London, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of, a, you know, it's right on the coast. There's no, there's no mysteries to why there's a city there. I mean, they land, yeah. the pilgrims landed in Plymouth and just across the bay is a city. Like it's just that simple. Um, and often, especially in, in North America, you see where, you know, where two rivers form to th meet, you know, where two yeah. rivers meet and form a third, there's going to be a city, Pittsburgh, Calgary, you know, like, um, it's just, there's this weird way in which cities are made by nature before they're made by us. Mm. I, I was thinking, um, for your Londoners, uh, in the audience, um, there's a play on now called, um, straight line crazy. My wife just went and saw it. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Wow. So it's about, um, Robert Moses who, uh, uh, tried to make New York or did remake New York, um, in a sort of automotive friendly way, which, um, and, you know, in his battle with Jane Jacobs, who was this, who had the sort of more organic idea of cities and, uh, and who's actually from a place in Pennsylvania, very close to where my mother was born. Um, and you know, that confrontation between them and, and how it affected New York and, and how actually it affected many other U S cities because, 
New York's mm-hmm. highway construction, the park, the idea of parkways, parkways, yeah, um, was was adopted by many other cities, and and I th- I think um, you know, and you see the kind of, you know, I mean, he's a very controversial figure, but you see that he had these some of the ideas were just kind of like they seem you can see why people agreed with them. Like he thought he really thought if you build these roads, people will just go out to the country. Yeah, they'll like if it's easier to get out of the city, then people will get more fresh air and more yeah. trees. And, you know, which people is another question, but, um, you know, it didn't occur to him that people would just move to this place and, yeah. and start commuting. But, um, so Rafe, uh, finds is in the play. It's great. Did your wife like it or? Yeah. She said, yeah, you know, ostensibly it's a play about urban planning, but it's far more interesting than that. It's a fascinating I story. I see this. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah it's good. They made a movie out of Alec Baldwin played Moses, Robert Moses. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's an interesting story as well. I mean, they, Coney Island was the carrot to, to, to lure people out for the day. And then they just ended up creating the Bronx for, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's a very interesting, uh, tale about planning versus well nature really. Yeah. Or organic, as you said, more, and, more you know, I mean the park, like the Taconic Parkway, which is um, a much older road than, than the ones Moses did, but it, it goes up from, from from New York up towards uh, it doesn't go into Massachusetts but it goes very close to where I grew up and that was the main road that we would take to go to New York it was the the most direct one and they built the New York Thruway later I guess I don't know who built that but um, and y- you drive down this road and you realize it, it was built for the idea that you would go for a drive because it was nice to go for a drive like they they yeah. put in curves and there's you know these old stone kind of picnic areas in the middle and um, it is not a road for modern SUVs. I mean, and there's basically no breakdown lane. I actually broke down on it once and it was extremely, um, <laughs> extremely, uh, unpleasant experience. But, um, but that idea of, you know, that was an, that was another idea about how the city should relate to the areas around it. And growing up in one of those areas, it was, um, it was, it's, you know, it's kind of burned into my memory. Um, related, I think, uh, where I'm judgmental because I will, I mean, I'm, Alex knows me, I'm judgmental. I try not to be on the <laughs> podcast, but is I vastly prefer cities that are walkable, obviously. And I will judge a city by the number of cars or traffic. So, I mean, you, you can give a pass to, you know, I'm going to Karachi um, on Sunday. I mean, uh, if you've been, it's just crazy. Like all these cities, uh, Cairo, Manila, whatever. But in the, in, um, in our countries here in Europe or in the U.S., what did I say? Our countries, because the three of us are from here, probably. Um, I will be judgmental about this. And for instance, one of the things that I didn't realize for a while in Tokyo, because Tokyo has some, but they, they, there are some highways in the middle of uh, yeah, the there are. That yeah, yeah, the expressway in the middle. You know, you're like the often, hell? often where rivers used to be. Exactly. Where, but one of the things that I really enjoy about Tokyo is that there is no on street. Uh, parking yeah you have to have an off street so you have you walk these little streets or even bigger ones there's never a car parked although you can see those parking garages yeah (laughs) yeah yeah. Yeah, but it keeps an entire as as someone walks it keeps like um uh i find most of the cars eyesores right i'm I'm sorry like like car lovers we hate me i mean i understand that some cars can be beautiful by themselves right but i mean in the context of traffic Mm. i'm like so i you must love la then yeah, LA is very hard. I don't think I would be able able to live there, man. Uh, uh, just, I just, well, I'm, I'm start, just because of. I'm working this week on a, a Financial Times article about it's about the book a little bit, but mostly it's about a, a recent trip to Delhi, um, and and Delhi is a city which has been, as far as I can tell, over the years I've been going there, completely transformed by its metro system. Yeah, and 
I have to say there is my adventurousness, or maybe it's a lack of adventurousness, but my willingness to go out somewhere in a city when I can, when I know that I can see this map and I can, I know, okay, I go here and then I change and I go here. And when I get there, I'll be like 600 meters from the place I want to go. Like that, the way that That the Metro map, I mean, aside from the, aside from not sitting in traffic, the way in which it, um, makes the, the city readable. It makes the city readable. Exactly. That's the mm. best way to say it. Yeah. Mm. Um, is, uh, for a foreigner is, it, um, you know, obviously they have enormous benefits to people who live there, but as a foreigner, it's just transformative. And, you know, a city like Delhi, I think they're saying in 2030, it's going to overtake Tokyo as the world's largest city. Um, it is, it is, uh, wow. if you have not been, um, to Delhi before and you walk out of your hotel, like you, you know, it's overwhelming. It can be overwhelming yeah. if, if it's a new. If you haven't been to that, you know, if you come from a place like like Pittsfield, for example, <laughs> you end up in a place like Delhi. You're gonna, um, you know, you're gonna you're gonna need a way to make sense of it. And the way that a metro map helps with that. Do you guys know those um, those books by Mark Ovenden, um, Metro Maps of the World? And he did yeah. a few other. I love those books, and um, but and they're beautiful books, and and they they kind of evoke the sort of imaginative quality of those maps. And of course, the under the London Underground map is yeah, is iconic. you know iconic. Um, but the way in and you know as I said the, the 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 role they have for people who live in those cities is is a whole other conversation but even as a visitor the ability just to be able to move around on a metro um is just amazing and you know you see you see you know here in london we have so many visitors from the united states and and you often see them on the on the looking up at a tube map or they're on the train deciding where to get off and and um you know thinking or i just i just now i heard people saying oh should we get off at waterloo or um um and and i remember what that was like to come to london and to to, to feel the city kind of forming out of both that map and also the, the way in which you, um, uh, uh, you know, you have this like almost like mushrooming or flowering images that come out of that map from the places yeah. you've actually gotten out and walked it's a around. Lovely description. I am um, a few, uh, a few years ago, I was, um, I was on the Piccadilly line a lot and I thought, and I thought, you know, if I was going to try to memorize this, how would I go about it? And I never did, but, but there were these whole areas where like basically the run from Heathrow into town, I could kind of do by thinking about what the next place was just mm. in the way you could, you could, um, you know, you could talk about the rooms of your house just by kind of mentally walking through them. Yeah. And I, was like, I could do that for like maybe half the line. And then in the center of London, I could, I could just say, well, of course that's the next station. Just like, well, of course the kitchen's the next room, mm. you know? And then, but as I got towards the Northeast, like past King's Cross, then I started, I thought, well, you know, I don't, you know, I think I've been to Holloway Road once and then, and I know the end of the line is Cockfosters and, and I thought, well, I'm just going to have to come up with some acronyms or something because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't have that kind of visual, I don't have those visual pieces of that puzzle, but you, other, yeah. So, so, sorry, I, I spoke too early. No. Do you have these kind of same visual in your head as with your airline routes, the, the routes that you do the most? Do you have oh, kind of visual, visual, yeah. But you mentioned at some point in the book, and I've never done it. Alex has done it. Is um, you said that there's basically two ways to go down Africa, and he feels like it's for some point there's nothing. Like there's not like these bright lights of cities. There's the absence of cities and the, these corridors you put through. Um, so do you have like a 
in your head do you have like maps maybe cities themselves are a map to where you you're going or you used yeah, to or? i mean that's 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 a really good question you know it's not it's not obviously it's not quite as as neat as, as a metro map but there are but there are air routes which are which are you know, much like metro maps and they have their waypoints along them and there is as you said when you go to cape town from from northwest europe there is a, sort of a set of routes that, that go um that stay over the continent and they they uh they go through um you know places like uh the congo and then uh and then down through angola and and over windhoek in namibia and and you can kind of you can go from london after if you're going south from london you pass algiers and then you're kind of over land for the rest of the trip um maybe the last few miles you might go over the ocean in cape town depending on which way you're landing but you you're kind of over land and then there's another set which go where you leave the west african coast near lagos or Accra or lome and and then you're really over the ocean for like three or four hours and um i mean it is really the most yeah it is and so when you when you're doing that you you do pass let's say lagos and you kind of look down and you see you know it's obviously a very humid place so that it's you don't get a clear view of the city but you do pass these these lights and you can see the other settlements along the coast and then you kind of and then it kind of just goes behind the behind the, the windows and behind the wing and um and that's a very striking sense of 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 a city which is on the way to another city and of course on other nights like we land in lagos but but if you're going to cape town you continue on and um and then you come to the to and you know in the very last few miles of the flight you'll you'll come over land again um as you come into the, the cape town area from the northwest and and yeah and it's a very a very sort of very visual set of experiences like that and you know la is another great example where you you know you uh, you know you take off from london and you fly northwest over scotland maybe iceland then you have those amazing views of greenland and then you're over like four hours of canada over the tundra and then the the forests and then and then you're over the the american midwest and then suddenly suddenly you're over utah and the rockies and then it just gives way to desert and and then it's just you know it's it's the great basin of nevada and then the mojave and then and then you have this like ring of mountains on the horizon and they're often snow covered and all, which is so amazing to people who've never been to LA before that it's surrounded by snow capped mountains sometimes. Um, and then you kind of come down. Um, and then if you're coming in the evening, um, you know, LA is the most remarkable place to land at night. Mm. It's just, it's just unbelievable. This, this sheet of light, which is being kind of held in between the ocean and the mountains. And, and so there is that, that visual sense. Um, but of course on other nights, um, it's cloudy <laughs> to be a bit of a downer. But. I mean, I, I can relate to that for just from coming into San Francisco or anywhere yeah, in the Bay area yeah, yeah. because of the day flights. It's a, well, the London to the Bay area is invariably a day flight and those flights are interminable. They just <laughs> yeah. drag on and on and on. And it's the four over hours over Canada that kill me. Because there's not a lot going on, but then as soon as we get northern part of California, there's for me so many visual cues, and yeah. it's like, okay, well, we're going to do this approach, which means it's going to take a lot longer. Um, oh wow! Yeah, that, yeah, that yeah. level of uh, yeah. detail. Or we're just going down, so we're going to turn left instead of turning right, and all of that. From so for me, you know, and then a lot of different emotions tend to pop up as well. Um, that sense of you know promise and you describe it beautifully with the golden gate bridge as being this sort of natural and uh, man-made welcoming to a city but recently um in the last two years 
a sort of a new pang of excitement as, you know, I now was going to go see my now wife, um, seeing the golden gate bridge was, you know, there's something visually, but there's all these visual cues in the last yeah, two that, hours. That arrival that is just, just extraordinary. And yeah. I often, I often want to tell the passengers, you know, Look out the window. in about 20 minutes, you're going to have a great view of the golden gate. But of course you don't always have a good view because sometimes it's socked and fogged. Yeah. And, and then you kind of feel like, well, I shouldn't have told them that. Should I? <laughs> <laughs> so now I say, depending on the clouds, that's my current phrasing. So, so, anyway, so you announced it, even though. Do you say depending on the clouds or sometimes well, so, you just shut up because you like, you know, well, it's so bad. Than... We're doing like, so we do that 40 minute call or you, or, and we, so, don't, we can't yet see it. So we don't, and we know the clouds at the airport from the weather report, but as you know, San very Francisco, well, yeah, the, um, the clouds at the airport may yeah. not be of any use to uh, gauge in the clouds over the bridge. Yeah. So I'll say in, you know, in 20 minutes or so, depending on the clouds, you know, or, I mean, that's, or you say, or you say to, no, you, he, he doesn't do that. You say to the crew, keep those shading things on the windows. That's the great thing about San Jose as well. And I'm sure you've done this as well is to leave San Jose, uh, to go to back home, back here, you take off and then you do a full orbit of the airport. So you get this, and it's usually at dusk, or at least for me in the summer when I do it. So you get this full panoramic slow tour of the Bay area before you wave goodbye and start wow, heading north. Wow. And the light is usually this bizarre kind of indigo. Just it's, it's one of my favorite things. And it's just always a bittersweet as well because I'm leaving, but uh, through those big dreamliner windows, it's just, my face is just pressed against it. Cause it's, you know that uh, REM song leaving New York. Yeah. Uh, I saw that never easy. I saw the lights fading out. I often, I often think of that yeah. when leaving New York. Yeah. We'll go to the Dreamliner actually in a second because we want to learn about that. But yeah. Maybe one last thing about seeing from above it that comes from what Alex was saying when he was describing beautifully actually the this fracture in, in Osaka. Uh, you mentioned, and of course that, that talks to me because I'm going next week, you mentioned that some cities have different hues of colors. Mm -hmm. And it's true, we all see that. Some are more orange, some are more bright. Uh, I mean, maybe it's because they chose LEDs over the old yeah, yeah. <laughs> lamps. But and you, you, they say the the passage, of course, struck me is when we say Karachi is very orange and Lahore is way more brighter. I, I can't wait to actually yeah. see that because I'm going to be next week. So hopefully you can attest to that. Do you do you have a, a favorite hue? I know it's a bit silly question. No, but like, because for me, honestly, the orange e looks more romantic to mm -hmm. me when it's too bright it's almost like this is like a, it seems like a factory I don't know what. yeah that's a, good, that's a great question I'm um, I have to start by saying of course blue is my favorite color like uh, like any good algae um, and um, in the book I, I do try to associate um, you know I write about Cape Town and and the important and the I mean the buildings aren't blue, but pretty much everything else there suggests that color. And mm. you must uh, like Greece, then. I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> no, I do, I do. Um, I have been, I have been to Athens in the city, but I have been to a few islands. And, yeah. um, uh, in terms of, yeah, it's interesting about the the colors of cities. I mean, when you fly over London, you can really see how the residential areas are more yellow, which is that I guess the sodium yeah. lights. Yeah, so but man. then the, the city itself, like the, the, the city with capital C um, is, is much wider. And I, I don't know what that is. It's just a different kind of street lighting maybe. Um, yeah, perhaps. Yeah. I mean, I have a light. And, and, the red, and the red beacons, of course, which are concentrated in the, the areas with the tall. It's also yellow. probably because you don't want the lighting to kind of disturb your sleep and, or like be in front of your house. So in the residential district, you probably turn it, you know, I have like a, this a park in front of me and there's these, uh, pathway food path and 
their lights are very orange. And I guess it's not too otherwise it would probably be uh, disrupted yeah, in my house or something. I, don't know. I um I've often been struck when you fly over the American Midwest in winter when there's just snow everywhere, mm-hmm. especially if it's like a full moon. Like um when I was growing up in Pittsfield, there I was often struck as a kid, but I was often like looking out my window and, and at night and in the winter and, and you would look at the stars or whatever. And, you know, you guys know this well, like you, it's never dark in winter. If, if it's snowy out, like you can just, you can walk around, you can yeah. walk around as if it's daylight. If it's the moon is out, you can probably read a newspaper um, just because the, you know, the ground is white and it's reflecting all that. And, and when you fly over like Midwestern cities, the, the, uh, the sense that it's almost, like a different kind of daylight, like the moon is out and everything is white and reflecting it. And then you see this, you can see the city so clearly because it's kind of backlit by the snow everywhere. Um, is a really, is a really special effect. It must happen. And I suppose you have mountains in the way, but you know, in Switzerland, but if, uh, you must occasionally get a very brief view of that effect. Over. Yeah, very brief. Yeah. <laughs> so small. You have to be pay attention. So, uh, yeah, because we have a few more minutes remaining, Tell us about, so there's obviously two things that are, uh, we're curious about. We discussed this before. One is obviously how did you survive through the pandemic of flying? But that, that, that comes second in our level of interest. The first is maybe last time we saw you were still flying a 747. Yeah. Are you yeah. flying a Dreamliner? So can you tell us about, of course, first, why maybe that decision? Because, I mean, we know that they were being winding down, but they were still there. And maybe why the Dreamliner and how that went through? Yeah, you know, I, I really struggled with that decision to, um, you know, we kind of bid in order of seniority to leave to, 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 to do a new course on a new aircraft. And the 747, I don't need to tell you guys what that plane meant to me. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, it's, uh, it was the plane I dreamed of flying when I was a kid. And uh, It's still in your Twitter handle. Yeah, Good. it is. I'm not changing that. Okay. Um, <laughs> and uh, Mark V747. Yeah. 787, yeah. maybe maybe I should register that too. But I'm just just <laughs> hedge my bets. Just to have it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, and I'd been flying it for maybe 10 years, and um, I knew that eventually the 747s would be retired. I didn't. No one knew how quickly, of course. Uh, and, you know, I was going to these 747 routes, you know, the 747 destinations. I was going there kind of, you know, so often. And the 787 was flying to a different set of cities, um, some smaller, but some bigger. But, you know, a lot of places I'd never been. I'd never been to Kuala Lumpur. Um, I'd never been to Santiago. I'd never been to Chennai or Hyderabad. So um, cities drove your decision to... In part, in part, okay. yeah. Yeah, which, again, reflects the... The, those passions are are inseparable, really. You know, cities mm-hmm. and and planes, um, and you know. I, so I, I wanted, I want, and, you know, and I wanted to change, I guess, as well. And it, I, you know, each year we bid, and I kind of, I kind of hemmed and hawed, and, and and eventually went for it. And you know, it is an amazing, it's an amazing plane. It's uh, it's you know, it's much more efficient. Obviously, I think it's about a third more efficient than the 747. Um, a lot of people talk about the uh, um, the lower cabin altitude and, and feeling better in higher humidity and you know feeling better after a flight. Um, there are all these like little small details, like the bunk. The bunks are actually outside. Our bunks, our crew bunks, are actually outside the flight deck, so we have to walk out of the flight deck to reach them. Where are they? Um, they're above first class, okay, or above club, depending on the configuration. Oh yeah, of course, because in the 747 they were within the flight. Yeah, they were within the flight yeah. deck. So you could. How do you access them? Do you, like, there's a there's if a I door. mean first class, I see you do going there. Yeah, a there's a door. There's a small door. Okay, okay, yeah, okay. yeah. Um, and uh, you know that was uh, 
you know, it's just, it's a small thing, but like on the 747, if you were, you know, you could go get change and put your pajamas on before your break and then go to the toilet to brush your teeth. And, um, and of course on the 787, you know, the washroom is the same one the passengers use and you're out of the flight deck. So you have to just plan your, plan your, your, your journey <laughs> to sleep slightly, um, more carefully. Um, you know, but then there are other advantages about that configuration. Like on the, on the 747, we were upstairs, obviously on the overdeck and you didn't see many passengers, uh, you didn't even see that many of the crew because if, you know, there'd be two crew members working upstairs and, and oh, the yeah. plane was so big that the first time I did that flight on the 747 to Hong Kong, that first night, um, we went, we went up before the passengers boarded. And then 40 minutes later, the, the ground team came up and said, okay, everybody, everybody's on board, 330 people. I hadn't seen a single one of them. Wow. Um, and on the 787, it's, uh, you know, we're on the same deck as the passengers and, and the crew, the rest of the crew. And so people do, you see a customer going into the washroom and you can wave and if they want to come look at the flight deck and it's a more, it's a smaller plane. So there's a fewer, fewer, fewer you know, there's fewer crew on it. So, um, in that way it feels friendlier maybe, mm-hmm. um, or it's easier to, to have a, to have those interactions, which are, which are kind of a nice thing. Um, and then of course the pandemic was, you know, one of the effects of that was the grounding of the 747s and, and then the 787s sort of going back to so by, by that time you already had, I was, right? I was already on it. Yeah. Oh, the yeah. Dreamliner, yeah. Yeah. And then the, you know, a lot of the routes that I thought I would never go to again, like San Francisco and Los Angeles and, um, you know, which I thought were kind of seven, four iconic seven, four, seven routes. Then the 787 did start going to those. Um, so, um, you know, they had the, the joke, they, I thought the joke, the, um, the the phrase that people say is never never bid for destinations um because they change so quickly between aircraft types so uh yeah so having uh thought i would never go back to the, some of those places you know london to la it seems like uh, you know it's an a380 route it's not a jumbo <laughs> route um but this nevertheless during the pandemic the 787 did go there and uh, and so Going back to some of those places again. But when I think about the transition from or away from the 747, you know, the, the cities that the Dreamliner served initially when you were thinking about making this change, obviously were, the, were a factor, but it seemed like a, a more natural progression would have been to the 777. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, in terms of. You know, yeah, why, yeah, why the Dreamliner? Why the Dreamliner? Yeah. It could have been the three, 350 as well. Could have been the 350. Or because you used to do 320 yeah, before. Or the 380. Yeah. 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 But um, 380 had a, we kind of already knew, I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth, that his lifespan was shorter because basically our business decided to stop producing his. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, and I think that with the, if you're on the 380, you just won't have as many destinations because there's fewer aircraft and they're just, oh. just going to go to just sort of three or four cities at a time mm. rather than. 20 or 30. Not as fun. I mean, I, I think, I think it was the, I think it was just that it was kind of newer, you know, I'd been flying this kind of iconic, but, but older aircraft, um, which, you know, wasn't really all that computerized. I mean, in some ways, uh, the 747, it was, it was quite, um, you know, it was quite, it it was quite an authentic experience of flying. It wasn't Uh, fly by wire though. No, it wasn't fly by wire, which a lot of people don't realize. And so I kind of thought, well, having done that now, now let me go to the front of the front of the queue and, um, and see what the, what they've been doing in the last 20 years (laughs) or 30 years. Um, and, uh, yeah, so it's, it's a nice place to be. And, uh, 
I do feel, I feel good after flights. Like I feel like the, the air, um, the air pressure and the humidity do seem to, to have an effect. I think 350 is pretty similar actually. But. You, 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 use, you just used the word uh, friendlier to describe your experience with the passengers. Is the Terminator a friendlier plane to fly as well? Uh, let's see. I mean, in some ways, in some ways it is. I mean, the, uh, the checklists are all electronic. So we're not getting, we have a paper checklist, but we're, we almost never use it. So all, all the checklists are just, they just come up on screen at the right time. Wow. Um, and, um, a lot of the, uh, you know, the, a lot of the checklist items are referring to the position of switches or, or the status of systems, which on a paper checklist you have to verify, but on an electronic one, the system itself senses that they're correct. So the checklist, a lot of the, a lot of the items on a checklist, not all of them by any means, but maybe a third or half, um, you don't even actually have to read those items because the aircraft has already sensed that they're complete. Oh, wow. Um, which it was, is, that must have been kind of jarring because the first, I don't know about you, the, but the first time that I saw or physically saw, as opposed to a picture, the flight deck of a Dreamliner, I was like, it's a video game. Where is everything? Yeah. <laughs> like there's nothing here. Yeah. But if you're, if you, if you, I mean, in this, like you say, the 747 is a previous generation. There were a lot more things that needed to be interacted with. Analog. Yeah. I mean, did you, did yeah. you have to sort of sit there and go, Oh no, it's done it for me. Oh, it's done, oh, no, <laughs> it's done that for me too. Um, yeah. I mean, there was, there was a little bit of that, but each checklist does still have sort of manual items where you're kind of verifying that something's been done and, and maybe, maybe you have more bandwidth for those because you know, the, you know, the other ones have been, have been sensed by the aircraft, I guess. Um, and you know, it has, it has the screen, the size of the screens just great. I and mean, it was really with the 747, 400, you really had the sense they'd like stuck some screens in. Yeah. Um, whereas this was just, that wasn't quite the case, but it did have that. They were, it did have that. It could give you that impression that they just like cut out some squares in the, right, right. In the front and put some screens in. Whereas the 787, I mean, it's like cars, you know, like, you know, you can see that on some, cars they've just yeah. put the screen in above the radio because that's where they put the screen there are others now where they've they've said okay let's start from scratch like we're gonna have a big screen aren't we mm -hmm. um and the 787 has those um uh it's a small thing but the, it has these really good floor heaters um it's 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 crazy how cold a flight deck gets um i mean the air isn't cold but the, the metal on the floor like when i flew the airbus uh uh within europe the older ones, uh, I would like, if I was doing like a four hour flight, I would wear like wool socks. Really? Yeah. Really? I, mean, I think they've probably put all, they probably put foot heaters on them now, but, but, um, and on the 747, there were foot heaters, but they weren't as good as the seven, eight ones. And it, it's just weird. I think it just soaks in the cold from the outside. So even though the air, the air is obviously room temperature, mm. the, um, yeah, the, uh, the floor of the, the flight deck can be quite cold. That's interesting. Yeah. Considering it's a composite airplane, you know. It's well, that's a good. Yeah, maybe that's maybe that's another reason the seven eight seven is warmer. Of course, yeah, yeah. Um, but for one, for one, whether it's the heaters or, or that, it's uh, it's definitely a cozier huh. place to. And how is the uh, the actual the the training? So, did you have to stop flying the seven four seven completely? Dedicate all your time to the retraining exactly that. And yeah, did, did yeah. you did you get also um, uh, your trainer was he someone what would prefer to be by the pool in singapore i think <laughs> now that was now that was back in uh, flight yeah, school no, yeah no, yeah no. no so how I, is it at ba uh, how was the, the the process um it was so I, I had a last flight a final flight on the 747 where to cape town 
Oh. Uh, uh, did you yeah, choose that? I did. Uh-huh. I did. Yeah, I went to a lot of trouble to get that. Um, I figured I was, I was going to go out in style. Um, nice. Suck up, suck up a last bit of blue. Um, Fantastic. And then, uh, and then we came back. Came back to London. I had maybe three weeks of ground school where you're just kind of looking at. They're kind of you're doing all this computer based training, but it's not a simulator, and it's just talking through all the systems. And you kind of do. They have like a like computerized training modules where you're just kind of clicking on a screen to explore the systems, that kind of thing. Um, but it's not a simulator. And there was an exam, and then. And then we went into the simulator and that was, I don't know, I can't remember how many sessions, maybe three weeks of simulators, Um, maybe a little longer exams along the way. Um, And then the first flight, which was to Kuala Lumpur. Um, so oh, that, you indeed, yeah, too. yeah, yes. yeah. Is that the one, is that the time when you went to Malacca? No, that was much that was much later. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then you know four or five trips like that, and then an exam, and then and then you're off. Yeah. So it's a, uh, it's a, uh, yeah. We have to get you guys in the simulator sometime. Oh well. <laughs> <laughs> We would yes, <laughs> grudgingly accept. <laughs> Reluctantly, yeah. I, I could drag it. Yeah. Oh, and, and and so you are. So when you retrain like this, are you becoming automatically the pilot flying the first? Uh, so I'm, I'm still first officer. First so officer, yeah. yeah. So uh, becoming a, uh, the, command the command training is a separate process. So I could have started that on a short haul aircraft years ago, but if I'm going to stick to long haul, I've just got to wait for my number to come up. Oh, so you have to wait. Yeah. yeah. You know, so hopefully so in the next few years. They tell you. They, yeah. Well, you bid, you bid for it. Oh, you and bid, then if yeah, you bid, okay. it's all seniority based, like everything. Uh, so that will uh, hopefully happen in the next few years. Nice. No, no, I was it's fascinating. I was wondering if there's anything in terms of, and I know I appreciate more, you're, you're handling physically flying the plane less and less as technology gets more and more advanced. But was there anything where you, we're flying the airplane where you thought, Oh, that's, that's different. That that's got a lot more kick to it or that's, that feels yeah, different or good question. Um, I mean, in some ways the most dramatic thing was, um, was lowering the landing gear in the aircraft for the first time in the real aircraft, because on the 747 you're upstairs, right? Yeah. So the landing gears are really long way away. Oh, so you don't feel it as much. You don't feel it. You barely, you barely hear it. Um, uh, trust me, when you're in the nose as a passenger, yeah. it's oh, me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The plane is yeah. crumbling under me. <laughs> yeah, I mean that. So that's that, that's the feeling I had in the seven eight seven because the wheels are like right beneath you. Right. Um, I mean, they're just a few feet away. Whereas on the on the seven forty seven on the seven forty seven, you like lower the landing gear and you can feel it because they're producing drag. Mm. So you can, as you're flying, you can feel you can. You have a physical sensation. The, the, of, yeah, the plane is a bit that the, the plane has down more drag, drag than, it, yeah, than, it, yeah. than it did a moment ago. Um, but you, I mean, you could kind of hear it, but it was it was more like you know you had an awareness that, and of course the main wheels were so far away. But on the first time I put the plane, the wheels down on the seven eight seven, and the simulator simulates this, but not quite accurately, I guess, because. The first time I did it, I was like, I had that exact session, like, oh my god, <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're, you know, they're, those wheels are quite close to us. So, uh, but, but do you get the same sensation of drag coming? Does it, does the airplane or does yeah, the airplane just, immediately take? No, I mean, it, I mean, no, you still you still feel that there's, and you hear it, you hear mm. the, the the air. I guess maybe uh, almost that's maybe more what I mean is that you can hear the wind on the on the landing gear more clearly from the seven eight seven. Also, the flight deck um, on the seven eight seven is so much quieter. Than the 747, and so you tend to hear more things, or you can, you, well, you can, yeah, and and the 
you know, sometimes when we, when two planes pass, you know, and they're still safely a thousand feet apart, like on the 747, you know, you don't hear that plane because the cockpit is so normal. But on a 787 on the flight deck, if you, you can hear other planes. Really? Yeah. And that wow. is really, um, now that's something I've never experienced being able to hear. Yeah. And that, and that is really, um, if you've been in the sort of, of a 747 for 10 yeah. years, that's a very, uh, that's a very striking sensation, oh. and it speaks speaks well of a seven seven, doesn't it? Yeah. So don't you miss that noise when you sleep? Because you know some people get kind of white noise. Of course, a seven forty seven would do more white noise. So you would actually maybe that would put you to sleep faster than the quietness of a dreamliner. Yeah, when you're on the um, <laughs> when you're on the seven seven, when you're in the bunk, it's, it's, there's still enough white noise. Mm. Well, weren't there stories when the when the A three eighty came out that like it was yes. it was oh. almost too quiet and you could hear was, like you could hear yeah. like Cutler. I was just yeah. thinking yeah. about yeah. it's the forward section of the upper deck of a three eighty is disconcertingly quiet. <laughs> Especially actually during takeoff, because you're like, surely we should be going a little, come on. It's <laughs> yes. very, I don't, not a... Maybe it's like, you know, electric cars make those. Yeah. The artificial Simulated noises. noises. Yeah. yeah. But I remember I, I was, I was lucky by complete accident. I was, I was flying back from Tokyo to, well, to London, but via um, Dubai. So I was using Emirates and it, I think July, 2012, maybe I'm making this up. And it was... By pure chance, it was the first time they were flying a 380. So it was, a, I arrived at the airport, super cool, because suddenly, you know, you had officials, and I'm like, what's going on here? I was supposed to fly a 777. And all the, to make the story short, I had a lot of interaction with the crew, because it was basically, the, half of the plane was Emirates staff, because they had like a mid-whole thing, like a party, whatever. So I was even bumped up, because they, I was in first class, for one of my first times, because the entire business cabin was taken up by Emirates people and so and they were that's when i learned they were telling me yeah we had to be trained specifically to be very quiet at night time where we do all the catering things like, oh, like say, wow. yeah, uh, yeah. putting out like uh, water because if you if you slash if you slap one of these uh, doors and it, you could wake up actually some passengers and uh, people that wow. used to fly triple sevens you don't have that that issue because it's not as quiet. So you would, you know, you kind of hear that something is happening at a galley, but not in the 380. They were telling me, yeah, we had to learn to be very like, closing wow. <laughs> very <believe> quietly. <laughs> Have you guys had some 787 experiences you like? Well, you mentioned the Dreamliner from San Jose. And I mean, it's, it's, it's a I beautiful plane. It's, it's a stunning plane. I mean, I remember the first time I ever saw one in flight, I was at Gatwick. And it was really, really early days. I would think Tui, Thompson, were the, still the only people flying them in the UK. And it was coming into land from the opposite side of the airport and with those wings up yeah. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, high. Yeah. And I was just Deflects. like, yeah. like <laughs> my, my, my kids are like, what, what, what's wrong with dad? He's like pressed up against the window watching this bird of prey come in and, and, and strike. But also, I think for me, one of the things that was so wonderful about it is that for the longest time, years, you could look up in the night sky and know from 36,000 feet away on the ground, that's a dreamliner. Because of the beacon. Because of the beacon. Yeah, yeah. I've, those, I've noticed those, those as well. I, and I, I, the first time I saw a dreamliner, I didn't see the plane, but I was flying back from Phoenix on a 747. And there was a... It was in the air. You crossed it. What's that? You, you, you were in the air when you Yeah, saw we it. were in the air. And I saw a beacon from another aircraft. And we could hear it was a Boeing call sign. It was like a Boeing test aircraft. Oh, wow. And they were like, you know, they were like Boeing 251 or something. And um, we looked at it and we saw the beacon, which, which, which um, just to explain what we mean, it's instead of strobing, it's, it kind of comes on and off. Yeah. Rather than no, a flash, it's yeah. like on off. 
on off. The filament than, isn't cooling down and giving that residual yeah. up and down. It's just, yeah. It's, and we saw that, we just saw the red light, you know, I don't know, 30 miles away. And I thought, I think I bet that's a dreamliner. Cause I've never seen a light like that. So and now you fly one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah so the great with the great wheel turns. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> For passenger, it's a, I mean, obviously the, the big windows are something that is very strong. All, all my friends who are not into planes as much as we three here and our listeners are, they all mention the windows. Yeah. Of course, as well, the, the, dimming. the dimming, dimming that comes with these kind of gel, whatever, that yeah. creates this bizarre hue. Alex and I do not like that the crew can have an end all of that. Because oh, sometimes, I, I, in the middle of the night, I will get, I get it. Like if it's kind of day, you know, if you want to create, you don't, you don't want the odd person to wake the entire plane. I get this, but at some point I'm like, I want to see what's outside. This yeah. is where I have a window seat. Especially on a, <laughs> on a North Atlantic <laughs> night flight in the winter when the possibility of the Northern lights is, is high. I want to yeah, be able to. The freedom. Yeah, yeah. Virgin didn't did let us. Virgin, I, I just flew Dreamliners back and forth to Santa Lucia, and oh, cool. they did let us control the whole time. Uh, on the return flight, it was a night flight, uh, so of course it didn't really matter. But I mean, they were they never took control over the uh, the, first, the dimming, which was nice. The <laughs> first time I flew uh, I flew a Dreamliner as a passenger was to Newark, I think, and the uh, the um, I went to, it was like a day flight and I was, I was in club and in one of those middle seats and I, um, I'd never seen those windows in action before. And, and, um, I, I went to sleep for a couple hours and then when I woke up, I thought, what's going on? It's, and I, and I looked in the windows and I, I thought it was like the, I thought it was the moon. Yeah. Because it's, mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and um, yeah, 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 yeah. you know, geeky fact, um, astronomer's fact is, you know, the moon and the sun have the same apparent size. Okay. Just they're, the moon is much smaller, but it's also much closer, and f- yeah. they're actually the same size, which is why we can have eclipses. Um, and uh, and so when you see it, it looks. It, I mean, it, there's a reason it looked like the moon because a it was really dim because by the windows, and um, and b it's exactly the same size. And I thought, what's going? On? This is a day flight. And I look up. <laughs> I'm like, oh no, it's the sun through the windows, which are mostly but not entirely dimmed. Yeah, I think I, 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 although my first, I cannot remember where it was. The first Dreamliner, I think I spent two hours taking pictures with all the different settings because, you know, create like use of blue and sometimes it mauve and mm. violet. So I was yeah, like, I yeah. want to try every, and it was, people <laughs> thought I was crazy. It was with a camera. Oh, this looks really nice. <laughs> I, I can, we can actually almost tell as passengers the, uh, the generation of Dreamliner because the, the very newest one, that dimming is super fast. Yeah. Oh, it's really? super dark. The old I, ones is super slow and the darkest setting, you can still see a lot a outside. Bit, yeah. Yeah, I didn't uh, realize that. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Yes, on the, on the Virgin, clearly, uh, the, the one on the return was much newer because as soon as I pressed this little cute button into colors, yeah. it went directly dark, like oh, very, very wow. quickly. Oh, Whereas the other one I was pressing and you're like, is it actually working? Mm. I wonder yeah. how much those, you know, I wonder how much those windows cost because the, um, they would be an obvious thing for a car, but I only, only recently that I hear about, there's like a new BMW electric car has and it, it has for its sunroof has, oh. has electric dimming like that. And, uh. and which makes me think it must be quite expensive. Yeah. Or there's some safety. They can't do it with safety glass. Maybe. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. You're right. Yeah. To close off because uh, Alex is actually our, our hard stop. We still have some times, but, but we're above almost the two hours now. Wow. See, oh. it was easy. <laughs> Mark was telling us, I don't know if we will be able to talk more than 45 minutes. Oh, well, that was never a worry of ours. How is that? So you, you mentioned the book that you, you had a pause in flying because of the pandemic. How was that? 
for you? Was it a bit? I mean, for, I think for everyone who works in yeah. travel or tourism or transport or, you know, you know, let alone obviously many other fields, it was a really, you know, it was a difficult time. You know, there was a lot of uncertainty. Um, and again, that's not confined to, to transport. That was, that was, um, you know, worldwide in, in every sense. Um, so I think maybe for three or four weeks in the, the sort of, uh, the most um, uncertain part time in March or April, I guess, 2020, I, I, I didn't fly at all. Um, and then we restarted, um, or I, I restarted, uh, and you know, you were flying some routes where there were very few passengers, but a lot of cargo. Um, and including I, in the cabin or the cargo was in the car. There were, I didn't fly any flights where there was cargo in the cabin, but they were doing that. So on some aircraft, they took the seats out. Um, completely and put cargo in there. And then others, they, they were, um, they were netting cargo to the seats. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't do any of those flights, but you know, I read that, um, 30% of the world's trade by value goes by air mm -hmm. and, you know, not by weight, obviously, you know, if you're shipping like wheat or something, you're not going to, yeah. you're, you're going to send it by boat. <laughs> but when it comes to value and you're like shipping laptops or, or phones or um, medicines or medical equipment or, you know, even like obviously the, the stuff that was being used more often in the pandemic in terms of PPE. And, um, you know, I never transported vaccines, but we did transport a lot of, um, a lot of the, uh, the chemicals that are used for, for those production. Um, and, and so once there were so many, you know, and there are dedicated cargo aircraft, but there are also, you know, regular passenger airliners do carry a lot of cargo. Um, and when there were so many fewer passenger flights flying, the ones that did fly got much fuller in terms of cargo. So, you know, some of the, some of, you know, we just so many flights where the cargo holds were completely full. Um, and some flights had no passengers on them. And then that must be weird. No. It is weird. Yeah. I, in, in skyfaring, actually, I had a, uh, I did fly once a 747 back from San Francisco as a, as a passenger and, uh, sorry, as a, as a freighter without any passengers on board. And I, you know, described how eerie it was. because when we took off in the Bay area, it was daylight. But when I did my first kind of walk around the cabin, it was already dark and, yeah, I remember you. and all the lights are off, but they're not all, cause there's still a few lights and the wolf coming from the washer. Is that, what was that? Was that the case as well with the Dreamliner? Yeah, it was pretty similar. So do, I, do you have any crew? Because when you have no passengers, do you still have by law, like one or two or someone? That, uh, um, usually you'd have some, some cabin crew, but not always. Um, so you can just fly with two or three pilots. Sometimes you had a four, you'd have four pilots. Um, so wow. and you could take your break in the cabin if you wanted. You could have your oh, choice of seats. That must be weird, though. It's eerie. Um, yeah, it's they uh, tracked on a bit, right? I mean, until yeah, it, it did. Kinda... It did. And then you know, recently it's been you know there were several stops and starts last year. As you guys know better than I, mm. or as well as I do. Um, but you know, the last few months have been have been getting busier, and you know, yeah. the uh, travel sections of bookstores that I go to are full. The airports are getting busier. I think. We're all really keen to, to reconnect and well, to... Matt, what was the first city that you flew to after that pause? Do you remember? I think it was San Francisco. How was that? Because so Alex, I'm not asking if you cried, but Alex did cry in the first flight <laughs> he took after the, the, after the pause. Mine, mine, mine much longer. I, own, I didn't, flew for, didn't fly for a much longer time. But what was the feeling of getting back and maybe going to San Francisco? Was it like a feeling of relief, even though maybe the, the cabin obviously was empty or... I mean, I think it was... How did you feel? I wouldn't say I felt relief then because it was yeah, still it was quite still, early. Right, in the middle it was still of, yeah, that first spring. Um, I think that that sense, I mean, you know, we wanted to be... Pilots want to fly. It's, you know, yeah. so it felt good to fly. Um, it was astonishing how quiet the airwaves were. I mean, and the air 
the, uh, the airports. The, no, the, well. the radio. Well, the airports are quiet too, but but the radio um, frequencies were just. You'd be the, sometimes the only aircraft on the frequency. Um, wow. And that was just if you're you know taking off from London, and you know often the first hour of a flight from London, you're you know it's a very complex bit of airspace, and you're speaking to many many different controllers, and they're they're giving you you know new instructions, and and it's it's quite a um, interactive environment um and you know you would take off from london and they would say proceed directly to your oceanic route there's, <laughs> there's no one else there. Wow. um and that was uh you know that's that was not a um i wouldn't describe that as a pleasant sensation but it was it was certainly remarkable and one i'll, I'll remember for the rest of my career yeah of course and i'm you, glad to i'm glad to see people flying again i'll be glad to see you guys on board sometime and yeah, I haven't. Yeah, I haven't flown BA since I restarted. I will. I promise. I need to do. That. <laughs> I'm so, so very, very sorry. And, mm, uh, yeah, but so where where do you fly next? You know, what's your next uh, flight? Nice. Yeah. I've never been to Canada, believe it or not. You've never been to never Canada. Been. Never been to Canada. <laughs> That's the most astonishing thing in this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Ever. Ever. Never. Never. How can you've not been to Canada? I've never been to Canada. I know. Canada's a, uh, I know. It's like I know. A, it's I've like never a been to Canada. The world. <laughs> <laughs> I, there you go. That's an excuse for me to fly BA, right? I need to go to Canada with you, hopefully. Uh, that's that's well. Well, when you um, part, there are large parts of it that look like Switzerland, so maybe you, yeah, maybe, that's why it's not. Maybe as, you could argue. I mean, basically yeah. anything in the Rockies or West is going to look like um, a more spacious version of Switzerland. We're very more spacious. That's also one of the reasons, and then we'll end this show. That's one of the reasons that New Zealand, for some reason, was never super high on my list because everybody tells me when they're there, oh, it's Switzerland. I'm like, yeah, I, I was born in Switzerland, so I'd rather go to Colombia. Like. This dude is going next week. I'm so jealous. I'm not going to say the name of the city because I'm fuming with rage of envy of him flying to Medellin. He's going to Medellin. Um, we'll talk about that in our next show, actually, yeah. his, his experience. So uh, can you uh, imagine a city? Is it out tomorrow? Yeah, it's out um, on uh, the 12th of May here in the UK and um, the Commonwealth. Um, and then it comes out in the US on the uh, 5th of July. For once... American friends, you have to wait because for movies, usually it's the opposite, right? <laughs> we get everything super late when you get all the movies. Uh, it's a great book. We both we both Love loved it. it. There's so many things we could have talked talk about. The way you describe and talk about Sapporo and Hokkaido is I loved it as well because I've been very many many times there, both in like the heavy snow of the winter and in the spring as well. Uh, it's really it's a beautiful book. Uh, do, do you call it like a follow-up to Skyfaring or not really? Maybe, yeah. I, I, mean, I, I, think, of... I think it is in some ways a sequel. It's certainly, um, you know, it's a more personal book and it's um, and it talks about flying as well because that's how I get to most of the cities I write about. Um, so I hope um, that uh, the people who, who enjoyed Skyfaring will, will enjoy getting off the plane with me and getting on the train into town. So uh, I guess I need to play the, they won't hear it. I need to play the end music, but they can keep talking because the end music lasts, as, as Alex knows, the end music lasts forever. <laughs> it's about a minute and a half. And usually we look at each other at the camera, like, should we still I, I talking? I think we need to talk about the fact that you haven't been to Canada. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get a lot of hate mail. I've like, never been to Canada? Well, yeah, you won't, because tomorrow. Canadians are so nice. You yeah, they're like, oh, they'll give us invitations. Why not get us invitations? Yeah. <laughs> You'll get a lot of, a lot uh, of, um, so a lot Canada. Of Canada it is. Vancouver, frankly, because you both say it's one of the most lovely. beautiful places. Yeah, or, Mont or Montreal is a lovely city. Um, you can speak your French there. Um.
and uh, there you go. Yeah. Apparently, yes. apparently, it's actually a more authentic French because when it arrived there in the 17th century or before that, yeah, um, it's been it's like Icelandic and Old Norse. It's been kind of in a, put in amber by geography, and so um, practice. Uh, practice by Old French. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, say your usual happy flying. What do you say you? Safe travels. There you go. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye. <laughs>